Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so as we get going today, or before we get going to this study, uh, there's a few things that I want to cover. Um, the Lord led me to this particular teaching concerning... Um, it was just really weird, you know, how I had a dream uh, the other night. And the Lord was just, there's just one word that kept popping into my mind. And that word the Lord kept showing me was destroyer. That's all I kept hearing, destroyer, destroyer. And I was like, man, you know, what's so important about this word? So, you know, like we do as Christians, or, you know, anyone that reads their Bible, you try and go into the scriptures to try and figure out what some things may mean. And in doing so, I found a whole bunch of scriptures and things that are really interesting for tonight's study. And before we get into the lesson, which will be called the destroyer, I want to get started in a couple of um, verses that the Lord gave me. So I want to get started in Exodus 12 and verse 1. This is the time when Pharaoh had chose to go against the children of Israel and he wanted to kill all the firstborns of um, the Israelites. And in turn, you know the story that God had ended up putting the plague back on them or that particular judgment. So we'll get started in Exodus 12 and we'll, we'll begin at verse 1. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house, like a sacrifice for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next um, unto his house Take it according to the number of the souls, every man, according to his eating, shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So what we're understanding here is there's a sacrifice per house. Now we know in this story that this has much to do with um, the old Levitical law, you know, when they did uh, sacrifices under the law, that, you know, you had to have certain things um, like ordinances and sacrifices that would, I would say, appease flesh, but it wouldn't be a remission of, of sin, really. You know, uh, the high priest would have to go into the temple once a year and he would have to, on a day of atonement to make sacrifices for everyone's sin, including his own. So this is only talking about, you know, what they were doing with the lamb as a purging for sin. OK, so I'll pick it up in verse seven and it says, 
and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And then it says, um, and they shall eat the flesh in that in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all, with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. So, you know, clearly this is symbolic for Jesus Christ, Jesus himself being as a lamb. You can make those comparisons with uh, John 19 and Isaiah 53 when it says, Like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth, but he was bruised for our transgressions. So we understand that this blood of, these, of this lamb that could not be with blemish. Now remember, Jesus Christ um, had no sin which made him the perfect sacrifice over our sins. So it makes clear here that the blood of this uh, sheep, I mean of this uh, lamb or goat without blemish, was able to be sprinkled on the doorpost right, for everyone that was of the house of Israel. So it says um, in verse 9, uh, I think I read verse 9, verse 10, And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste, uh, it is the Lord's Passover." So we understand that this is where we get the Passover. And isn't it funny how Jesus died, you know, um, during the Passover, which tells you that this lamb is none other than, you know, it represented Jesus Christ, who was to purge us from all sin and to cover us in his shed blood. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now you know that this has happened. So the Lord told them to cover themselves in the blood, pretty much over their doorpost, meaning that their houses were governed by the blood of God, that, that sin would be purged, and when God would recognize the blood that was on the doorpost, he would pass over them. So this even gets more interesting as we continue to read verse 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall uh, be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a, keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it of feast by an ordinance forever. So this is another interesting point, you know, because it talks about how they should keep it forever. But one thing we understand, if you go to Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com, um, and there's a, a teaching we did not too long ago on the seven sacred annual feasts of the Old Covenant. And we covered them in detail only to show that the seven annual feasts were all symbolic for something celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ 
or something that Jesus Christ would do. Okay, so I'm not telling anybody to not um, partake in these feasts, but what I am saying is, is that they're all symbolic for Jesus Christ. So if you have Jesus Christ, you've got all of this. Okay, that's why Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That's why he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's why it makes clear that the law itself was only a schoolmaster until the coming of Jesus Christ. But remember, when it says, when Jesus comes, that we are no longer in need of a schoolmaster. So why God had them celebrating these feasts was to teach a people that were bound in Egypt, that served the Egyptian gods and were slaves to them, that they would be taken out and being taught how to love their God, how to worship their God, and how to stay on the right track until the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, so verse 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be in holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be in holy convocation. Uh, to you uh, no manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done uh, of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in, the, for in this selfsame day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, Therefore shall ye observe this day in the, um, in the generations by an ordinance forever. So you see, every one of these feasts had something to do with something that the Lord thy God did for them. And, you know, this isn't really the subject tonight, but I'm just setting the floor for what we're about to read. Okay, so let's go to verse 18, continue. In the first month of the 14th day of the month at even... Ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leaven, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Now you remember when you go to Galatians 5, and I think it's in uh, Corinthians where they talk about a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. So this bread, couldn't, leaven is a type of sin, it's a type of pride, it's a type of impurity. So if they had leaven in their bread, okay, that was considered sin. So they ate unleavened bread to show that they were not of sin. So if they had leaven in their bread at the time that the Lord passed over, that this individual or their soul's or the souls of strangers shall die that were born in the land. So we'll go to verse 20. Ye shall eat nothing leaven in all your habitations. Ye shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, And take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that in uh, the basin... Uh, the strike uh, and strike the lentil and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out uh, at the door uh, of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, 
And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. So I thought that that was pretty interesting because it spoke first of the Lord passing over. But then it talks about the Lord will pass over and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. So I thought that was really interesting about this destroyer because who would this be? Some people try and say the angel of death. Some people would say, you know, um, that could have been a nickname for the things that God has done. But I believe that there's much more to this destroyer. And I believe that the Lord talks about a lot of things concerning this destroyer in his word. Okay, so from here, let's go to another place. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 4, and we'll start at verse um, 1. Okay, Jeremiah 4 and 1, and it says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then thou shalt not remove, and thou shalt swear, The Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Uh, for thus saith the Lord uh, uh, to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart. Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest, by my, I mean, lest my fury come forth like fire, and burn, that, and burn that none can quench. None can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Declare ye in Judah, and publish in Jerusalem, and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together, and say, Assemble yourselves, and let us go into the defense cities. Set up a standard toward Zion, retire, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north, and a great destruction. The lion has come up uh, from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He is gone forth from his place, and make thy land desolate, and thy city shall be laid waste without inhabitant. Okay, so this is important again because here we go, speaking of this destruction. Well, this destroyer that, you know, somehow it just seems that if God is not in the way to deal with this individual, whomever he may be, it seems like he has his way with man. And, you know, right away I began to think about the story of Job. If you remember that, uh, the devil uh, came in with the angels one day when he still had passage, passage into the heavens. And God asked him in Job 1, you know, where are you coming from, Satan? And Satan said, from going to and fro in the earth. So he was bragging to the Lord about his dominion in the earth. And the Lord said to, to Satan, has thou considered my servant Job? And Job said unto the Lord, you know, I mean, and the Lord said unto, well, Satan said unto Job, I mean, unto the Lord, Satan said unto the Lord, let me get it right. He said that, 
you know, Job is no different than any of your creations in a nutshell, that if you take away those things that he will curse you and forget you just like anyone else. Although Job was a very righteous man before the Lord, you know, Job lost his whole family, Satan killed them, Satan destroyed his flock, Satan, you know, his wife even told uh, Job to curse God and die. He was covered with boils and all these things happened to Job, but you know, he stayed up under the Lord. So I believe that this destroyer is Satan, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. You know, let's go into a few other things, but it is just really funny how this destroyer had his way. Okay, so let's go to, um, I want to go to Luke 22, and we'll start at verse 31. All right, so this is Luke 22, and we'll begin in verse 31, and it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, um, to have you, uh, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So, you know, right away, Jesus is, is warning Peter that Satan has come to sift him as wheat or, or desire to. But Jesus told Simon, I, I prayed for you that your faith not fail. So we understand that Jesus is interceding for Peter against this destroyer. This is how I know it's Satan, because right away his desire is to destroy. And unless you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you know, he pretty much has his way. Let's continue. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast thrice denied me that thou knowest me. So the Lord is telling Peter in all his bravado, Peter saying, Lord, I'm ready. Okay, Satan wants to sift me as wheat. I'm, will I'm willing to go with you to prison and even unto death. Okay, but Jesus told him, you know, three times you're going to deny me before the cock crows. An interesting point, too, is when you go back to verse 32, he said that when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. So I believe this has a lot to do with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, when it says, when thou obedience is fulfilled, then you can go and revenge all disobedience, because at that point you would be converted. So what we understand here is that Peter has not been converted. And and in so in 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 being the case, Peter didn't have the Holy Ghost to be able to stand against this thing. So verse 35 says, And he said unto him, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, Nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he that have a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script, and he that have no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this uh, that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he that reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out and went as he was won't uh, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, 
he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. So we got to understand here what Jesus is saying. That temptation will come upon them, but he's praying that they not enter into it when the hour of temptation will come upon them. So I happen to believe that this is the time that the destroyer strikes. This destroyer would love to try and get you into temptation to get you to fall away that he may destroy you. Okay, so from here, I don't want to get ahead because we haven't even really started the lesson yet. We're just setting the floor. So from here, let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Okay. Now we'll start at James chapter 1 and... Um, We'll begin at verse 3, and it says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not. And it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is, is unstable in all of his ways. So let's think about this. The Lord said, if you ask and doubt not, nothing wavering, meaning that you are on the side of Jesus because he hears the prayers of the righteous. Now, let's just say the children of Israel back in Exodus 12, uh, some decided to put blood on their lentils on the doorpost and others didn't. You don't think that God would have come through and just saved those that had the blood on the doorpost and took from the midst of them those that did not. Okay, so you've got to be all the way in this thing, not just surrounded by believers or those who believe. You yourself have to believe and you cannot be double-minded. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but, but the rich in that he is made low because of the flower of grass he shall pass away. For the, the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it um, wherewith, what, but it withereth, sorry, the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall a rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them, that love him. So, okay, if you manage to stay with them, because you even see that riches here can't stop people from dealing with this destroyer, but he's talking about for those who endure temptation, like Jesus tried to pray for his disciples, that they would receive a crown of life. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when what? When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So we understand here that if we are up under Jesus, that this destroyer can't do anything to us. But if we are drawn away by our own lust and enticed, then we can fall. So this brings new meaning to some of the things that Jesus said concerning, you know, the ruler of this world, concerning... He had overcome the world, 
and his obedience being fulfilled even before he preached the gospel. Because I believe if this destroyer had anything in Jesus, he would have taken Jesus down. So Jesus had to be without spot or blemish, living every day in the Spirit, obeying the Father, even unto death, even the death of the cross. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll start at verse 1. First Corinthians 10 and 1, and it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Okay, so um, uh, Paul is making clear here that, okay, all of them were children of Israel. All of them were, they passed through the Red Sea, so they saw God's miracles. Okay, all of them were baptized unto Moses in the cloud as, uh, and uh, in the sea. And they all had the same spiritual meat, and they all drank from Jesus Christ. So this is interesting, verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, why were they thrown, overthrown in the wilderness, Paul? Verse 6. Now, these things were our examples to the intent. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So remember, we just read in James that when we are enticed, that we can be taken away and tempted because there's something in us that probably shouldn't be. So this is what happened to some of these children of Israel that they lusted after evil. Verse 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So their minds were not focused on the Lord. And if you remember that well enough, there was a golden calf that they had built because they didn't know if Moses was coming back. So even though they had just passed through the Red Sea and the Lord destroyed their enemies, they still had taken their eyes off of the Lord to give in to their own fleshly and carnal lust. They wanted to play, they wanted to eat, they drank, they had fun, and they worshipped this false god, which is this calf. Let's go to verse 8, and it says, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now, you guys can look this up. When Moses came back down from the hill, he said, you know, he destroyed the calf. He destroyed the tablets. He said, who was on the Lord's side and who was on the enemy's side? Okay, so right away, uh, the people that were with the Lord decided to step over. Others rebelled against Moses, and they were swallowed up in the earth. Now, we're going to find out who actually did this. Look at verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Okay, so here we go again talking about this destroyer. Now this clearly sounds like God is not doing the killing. God is giving over to this individual that, that is destroying everything. So I just think this is interesting and 
I want to cover two more things before we get into this lesson because we're going to find that this destroyer has dominion over many things. And what we have to make sure is, is that, you know, we have to see this through spiritual eyes and we have to understand who Jesus Christ is because he is the only thing that can deal with this destroyer. So let's go to Luke 13 and verse 10. I think this is an interesting story. Okay, Luke 13, and we'll start at verse 10, and it says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. So this woman had, I guess, a type of um, disease or something where, she wasn't able to stand upright. She was, you know, bent more towards the ground. But it says it was a spirit that did this, a spirit of infirmity that had her, this woman, almost crippled. And when Jesus saw her, he called her uh, to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Now notice Jesus quoted seven words here, okay, which is his number of completion and perfection and his number in the spirit that the woman was set free. Verse 13, And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Okay, so we understand here that this woman was able to be healed because the Lord released her from a spirit that had her in sickness. So let's imagine this. Could, a, could this destroyer even have a control over sickness and over disease, and over all types of infirmity and weakness. I mean, you know, it just makes you wonder. So hopefully we're going to cover a lot of this in this study, but from here, let's go over, because I believe there is another scripture here where the Bible makes clear that the woman was released from that which Satan had placed on her. So we understand that Satan does handle sickness as well, and this thing was canceled in a spiritual war in Jesus Christ. Okay, so from here, I want to go to Mark 9 and 17, and I believe that that will be the last scripture before we get into the lesson. So let's go to Mark 9 and 17. Okay, Mark 9 and verse 17, and it says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away, and I spake, and thy disciples, that they could not cast him out, and they could not. Okay, so this child was dumb, had a dumb spirit, meaning this child couldn't speak, but this child also would be gnashing around with his teeth, foaming at the mouth, this sounds an awful lot like epilepsy. Now, don't turn off what I'm about to say, okay? Because there are many people that have dealt with this spirit that have come to the Lord, and they recognize that it is a spirit. That even though their brain waves may still read that they're epileptic, the Lord can actually deal with this. So let's just listen in. Don't turn it off. If anything, this should increase your faith, give you new understanding. And decide to choose Jesus full of the Spirit that you may deal with this. But look at verse 19. And he answereth not and saith, 
O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And when they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. So this guy was dealing with it all of his life that he had this sickness. Some people would call it moonstruck. They would even call it, you know, um, a lunatic, like they would consider him somewhat mentally ill or crazy. Now, you get the word lunatic from, um, the word lunatic comes from the word lunacy, which you get the moon. Now, people know on full moons, all sorts of crazy, thing happen, crazy things happen. Even epileptics, their attacks seem to be greater around the full moon. Okay, so look it up, guys. Don't call me crazy. Verse 22, and oft times it, cast, it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, um, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And um, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he said, I mean, he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And uh, so, you know, we understand here that Jesus had raised this child or this this kid, you know, after this spirit was rebuked in him. So hopefully we get to cover a lot today concerning this destroyer, because if he's affecting sickness, if he's affecting, you know, these things that doctors tell you can only be dealt with medically, then I think we need to dive into depth on who this destroyer is. Okay, so I guess we can actually pray and get going, you know, and uh, really get into this lesson. Should be a good one. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions. And those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that you have kept us in good health and perfect peace. That you have allowed us, Lord, to walk in our daily walks, Lord, not being harmed by the enemy. At least not to the degree of not being able to come and serve you. And I'm just asking, Lord, that this may be a beginning of things. I'm asking, Lord, that for those who have gone cold, let their faith be renewed in you, Christ Jesus. I'm just asking, Lord, that all that we have to do concerning you, that we will be covered in your full armor, that we will have our eyes on the prize, which is the cross of Jesus Christ leading unto salvation. And I'm just asking, Lord, that you make your word clear, Lord, to those who can't see and those who can't hear. 
Lord, we place no confidence in the flesh, for we want the Spirit of God to speak to us and teach us, Lord, your word. Let us not utter words that don't come from you, Lord, because anything from the flesh does not profit. But we need the Spirit, we need the power of the Holy Ghost, we need the understanding, Lord, that you said would bring us into all truth and righteousness. Lord, let us check our hearts, Lord. Let us check the reins, Lord, of our actions. Let us be searched through and through, Lord, for wherever there is iniquity, Lord, you want us to deal with it. Wherever there is transgression, wherever there is sin, wherever there are negative thoughts, wherever there are things, Lord, that do not glorify Jesus Christ, I'm asking that you cast them down and place them under your cross. I'm asking, Lord, that we learn to lift you up. For you said, if you be lifted up, you will draw all men unto you. And all we want to do, Lord, is be vessels fit for the master to use. All we want to do is to have the Lord, the King of glory, be glorified in our bodies. And Lord, we're just asking for more time for you to hold back your judgment, Lord, to spare us your, your judgment, Lord, and give us your grace and your mercy. Yes, give us time to make things right, for our daily battle with the flesh has not been easy. But Lord, we believe in you, and we know that your mercy endures forever. And we just want you, Lord, to just bind the broken hearts today. For those who made it by chance, Lord, for those who are here because they want more, Lord, fill these vessels, Lord, that they may get everything that you have called them to. Let not the spirit of distraction, Lord, come over this place. For in the name of Jesus, we bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, Every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit of antichrist, every spirit that is the enemy of the cross of Christ, cast him down, Lord, and let the Holy Ghost indwell every believer, everyone that's here that wants to be full, Lord, let your will be done. For you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, you are faithful, just, and true, and you are worthy of all praises. Lord, I ask that you do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so um, tonight's study is going to be called The Destroyer. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound like something very Christian, but um, I think for a lot of us, in order to help us really walk with Jesus, you know, you hear a lot of people say things like, well, why focus on the negative things? Let's just focus on the goodness of the Lord. And this is true. I mean, the power of Jesus Christ, there is nothing greater than. There is nothing more powerful than cleanliness, than the truth in Christ, and the power of the Holy Ghost to help us to walk with Jesus and to know what it is to triumph. We cannot go without it. But I think that for a lot of Christians or a lot of believers or people out there that are in positive thought, that they have no understanding that we are really in a warfare. We are really in a battle. And this is a minefield full of distractions, full of things that can take us down if we're not covered in Jesus. So the Lord wants us to have an understanding of him for sure. And that when we have Jesus Christ, we do not have to fear. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest issues is that a lot of people go not fearing, but in ignorance. Like, for example, they have to acknowledge that Jesus is Christ, but they have no idea that there is a real enemy out there, a destroyer, that the Bible mentions many times that want to destroy people, 
wants to destroy your life, wants to destroy your faith, wants to destroy your marriage, wants to destroy your friendships, wants to destroy your children. I mean, you know, just everything that he can come against you with, he will come with. And in order for us to be effective, we have to know what the tricks of the trade are. Because the enemy, he's a ruthless, I mean, cunning, I mean, adversary that he has no emotion towards little children sticking their fingers in the socket and being electrocuted. I mean, again, just all sorts of things from women that will tell you it's a woman's right to choose and then go out and butcher their own children. So one thing we have to understand about our enemy, because hopefully we'll get an in-depth study of him, is that he does not play by the rules. He has no way that he will just uh, go about doing things in one way. He's an opportunist. Whatever the situation demands, wherever he can see a little pride, wherever there's a little lust, wherever there's a little anger, wherever there's a little you outside of Jesus Christ, this guy will pull the plug on. He will not play by the rules. And if he can use your own family against you, believe me, he'll do it. All right, so we just want to get started with the psalm. If anyone wants to add anything, they can. If not, let's go to Psalm 17. And, you know, some people may disagree with me, but it's like to understand him is to love the Lord all the more. I mean, honestly, to know what this enemy of ours wants to do will make you love Jesus that much more because he really goes to bat for us. All right, Psalm 17, everybody there. We'll start at verse 1, and it says, Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of, of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes of behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shall find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. So what we got to understand here is, you know, in James 3 talks about this as our words, things that we may say can even condemn us. Jesus said that every idle word that we that we say that we think is no big deal can lead us into condemnation if we let the devil, uh, you know, say things carelessly, you know, just saying things are OK and they're not. Verse 4, concerning, uh, I read 4, of uh, 5, Behold my goings in thy path, that my footstool slip not, I mean, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me. O God, incline thy ear unto me, and hear my speech. Shew thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by my right hand, them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. So you see right away there's two kinds of people. There are people that, like David, will put his trust into the Lord. And he believes that aside from the Lord, he can do absolutely nothing. He's even believing that the Lord has kept his faith, the Lord has kept his, his words uh, where they should be, glorifying the Lord, that he has not been given over to the path of the destroyer. So David is watching everything he does, but then he speaks about those that rise up against God 
which we're going to find today are the unruly people that the, the devil tries to use. And if he can do it to us, uh, you know, he will. Verse 8, keep me as the apple of thy eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me from my deadly enemies who can pass me about. And this is why I try and encourage people to let the Lord work in our lives because if he can really show you what's in the world and what this whole thing is about, who's behind every form of, of government or everything in this world, then you will get a clear view of this is not a place for Christians, okay? That we really need to stay up under him. So David wants to be kept as the apple of God's eye. And a lot of people don't know that the children of Israel at that time were considered the apple of God's eye including the church who are like the children of Israel as far as being up under the adoption. The children of Israel are, God, are God's people. So if we were to follow the things that the Lord had told them and us, the promises given to them are the same promises that we will have. But one thing the enemy wants to do is get you to blaspheme your God, get you to disobey your God, not to follow him, not to do what he wants us to do, so that way you can be a rejected spirit like him. See, the devil was rejected. At one point, he was really close with the Lord. We're going to get into this, but, you know, part of why he wants you to fall away or to be disgraced in the eyes of God is because he knows what God gave us, and he wants to stop us from having it. All right, so uh, verse 10, and it says, they are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in, in our steps. They have set their eyes, bowing down to the earth. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as if and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, uh, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul, from the wicked, which is thy sword. Okay, so we understand that he talks about that this enemy, you know, comes about and he speaks in people. You'll find a lot of proud people of the world that think they don't need God. When you come and you try and present the gospel to them, you know, they'll tell you, I'm good. I'm a good person. Okay, so because I'm a good person, I don't need God in my life. I don't need a savior. I can be just as, you know, uh, what's the word I want to use? I can be just as clean and righteous without knowing who this Jesus Christ is. But you see, that's proud speech because a lot of those people get half the story and they really don't understand what this world is really about. You cannot be good void of God. Okay, um, verse 14. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure, they are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. So he's talking about this world people. You know, uh, Jesus talked about this before, how people would be overcome by surfeiting, that there are people in this world that don't obey the Lord, that their God is their belly, you know, and they don't even realize that God had put his treasure in earthen vessels that we may be like Christ. But as long as we're feeding off on the world, that we can't be like him. 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Okay, so again, David spoke of being delivered from this destroyer and how he wants, you know, to be with the Lord. And this is how we have to see things as the Lord sees them. 
So, you know, let's get started in Ezekiel 28. I think we're going to go there first because we're talking about this destroyer. We're talking none other than Satan. Okay, and it's not up to me to convince people whether he's real or not. Hopefully by, you know, this study or the revelation of the Lord that people will really understand that we have an enemy. Because a lot of people truly think that, you know, they're just living their lives on their own and the decisions that they make are theirs and, you know, don't believe in the devil. Those who believe in the devil, they feel are people that aren't accountable for their own actions. They'll claim that people will try and say, well, the devil made me do this. And I agree with those people to a degree that you can't blame him for what you do, but let's just say you have a lot of help getting in your own way. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of help of being told things that you think are your thoughts and they're not. Right. All right, so we'll go to Ezekiel 28 and we'll start at verse 11. And it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So right away, this is speaking of this king of Tyrus, that is ruling over the prince of Tyrus, if you go back to um, Ezekiel 28 and 1, this is the Lord actually um, revealing that the prince of Tyrus is just a regular king on the earth, but the king of Tyrus is who rules over this prince. Okay, And then it says that he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So right away, if this is identifying as Satan, that you know the Bible says he was made to be perfect in beauty. And many people can't even, I mean, none of us can really fathom what perfect beauty is. We all have our ideas of what we see in magazines or things in the world, and we may say this is beautiful or that's beautiful or this, but perfect beauty means like if God made it and God is calling it perfect, it must have been something that would just, it would just blow you away just to see how, how beautiful this guy was. Verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy taverns and thy pipes was prepared in thee the day that thou was created. Now we understand with this um, Satan at the time he was Lucifer, he was covered in all these jewels that he was just beautiful. But it said he also had tabrets, which are like tambourines and pipes built into him. So this this was a heavenly angel that probably led the praise and worship in God's kingdom. All right. And then it says, so he was perfect from that day. 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. So this God was right where the throne of God was. Right where the throne of God was. And he was just, you know, he glorified the Lord with, with how beautiful he was. Verse 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till iniquity was found in thee. Now, iniquity is... Anything that is not like God. Iniquity is usually like a form of rebellion. Because a lot of people don't know, like, sin means to miss the mark. A transgressor is someone that knows better and chooses not to go that way. And, and iniquity is what kind of leads you into 
transgression or into sin. It is that which is not righteous. It's a, it's a type of rebelliousness. So the devil was perfect in his ways until iniquity was found in thee. So we're going to find out what brought forth this iniquity because it sounds like this guy had it made in the shade. He was right by God. He glorified God. He did everything that God wanted him to do. Verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So we understand here that through his merchandise, you know, the multitude of, of his merchandise, that he filled the midst of himself with violence. So when you hear the word merchandise, it's kind of like selling yourself. So this guy was pretty much in heaven, and I'm not going to try and act like I knew what was going on, but somehow I have a feeling that while he was made like this and he glorified God, exactly, but then the other angels, you know, I'm sure they thought that he was separate from them because it speaks of no other angel being made this way, but this guy probably looked and saw everyone worshiping God and said, you know what? They're probably worshiping because of me. Like, after all, we're praising God, but you see, I'm the one that's up here leading the praise and worship. And if it wasn't for his beauty, as, as beautiful as I am, that this whole thing wouldn't go right. So he began selling himself in heaven, which we're going to read to other angels, probably telling them things like, you know, well, if I were really God, you know, I would give you a much higher position than you have. But. See, God doesn't understand what you are. He wants you to serve, but I would have you governing over other things. And like I said, I can only prove some of this through Scripture, but the rest, when it talks about merchandise, that's selling yourself. 17, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So it does pretty much say it right here. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Okay, so the Lord is saying, because you have lifted yourself up, I'm going to cast you down. And you know what? You see this a lot, like with people in high school and college. You find that during the time people graduate, you've got the beautiful girls. You ever see them, the queen of the prom, and all these girls that were the end crowd. Oh, yeah, you see them that all the boys want. You know, go crazy over these girls. Well, you wait till the 10-year reunion because nobody wanted you when you were a little girl with the buck teeth and the glasses. No one was paying attention to you. But as you go in through your life and, and the 10 years go by and everyone meets at the reunion, this one's got five kids. She's now 400 pounds. You know, no one's paying her any attention. She's not working or doing anything in her life because she tried to live on her beauty. Then you got the girl, you know, little... Sarah plain and tall, you know, with nothing. No one paid her attention at all. But now she's the one and everyone is, whoa, what happened to you? So for a lot of people that lift themselves up and they think it's all about them, your beauty can't save you, okay? It's not in your looks. It's what's inside that really um, shows beauty. That's right. Verse 18, thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. So, you know, the iniquity of thy traffic. Again, this guy was selling himself. He was slandering God. 
He was saying by reason of his brightness that he was worthy to do such things. So God is telling him because he have polluted the sanctuaries that, you know, the Lord wanted nothing to do with him. And that's one thing about God is he wants us to be holy. He says, be ye holy for he is holy because like the Bible also talks about a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. If there's a little iniquity in you, if there's little sin, if there's little pride, if there's little flesh, if those things are not canceled by Jesus Christ and he truly governs us, what ends up happening is we will, um, you know, he'll pull that area that has not been governed by the Holy Ghost. And this is what sets people back. Mm -hmm. So you want to be governed by the Lord and, does, and do all the things that he commands us to. So the Lord had to get rid of him because he was polluting the sanctuary. And this is why in Proverbs, the Bible says, cast out the scorner and the strife will cease. Usually when there is strife in the, in the church or in the midst of people, you got people out there slandering and scorning and putting others down and doing things. Usually when that person gets taken up and rooted out, everything goes back to normal because that's the one thing that upsets you. It's kind of like a bad toothache. Mm -hmm. That tooth gets removed because, I mean, you can have one bad tooth and, I mean, your gums will feel, all everything feels swollen. But the problem is only one tooth. So once that one is yanked up and pulled out, everything goes back to normal. And it's the same thing when there are disparities in the kingdom of God, when there are things that don't belong, that don't fit, that will refuse to bend to God and his authority. Those things have to be cast out. Mm -hmm. So God understood at this point that Satan was like a type of cancer because, you know, unless you cut all of it out, it can grow back. Verse 19, all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. So imagine him being this beautiful cherub that God made, that glorified God. I mean, the most beautiful thing that God ever created. Now the Lord is saying once he cast him out, once he's out from the presence of God, he shall be a terror and shalt thou be any more. So uh, imagine being by God and being glorious and then away from God. He's probably, I mean, if he showed his true form, he'd probably be the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. I mean, this is just awesome how you can just be outside of the Lord and not follow him. So from here, we're going to go to Genesis 1. And then we're going to um, get an understanding as to um, what this destroyer actually did. Because from this point, he had a vendetta and he made it clear, if I'm going to get kicked out of the temple of God for what I've done, I'm going to try and make many just like me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going down alone. So, you know, if you want to hurt a person, you don't always have to hurt the person. You can hurt that person's children and it would be the same thing as hurting that person. Okay, so we'll start at Genesis 1, and we're going to go to uh, verse 24. Genesis 1 and 24, and it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, 
and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now we understand here that God wanted men to have to be made in the image of God. And he said, let us make man in our image. So for those who don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, this is God the Father, this is Jesus Christ, and this is the Holy Ghost present going to make man in their image. So it says, let us, not everyone in one image. I mean, you know, it's going to be made in the image of God, and God is a triune being. Mm -hmm. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So we understand that God gave man the dominion over the earth. Adam was the son of God. He would have been considered like God on earth. Okay, now I know a lot of people have a hard time with that. He is the Son of God, but God gave him dominion as God has dominion. So God had dominion over the heavens and the earth, but he gave man dominion over all living things upon the earth. Okay, so, you know, this is some of what God left man still, which is why some people can be lion tamers. Some people can have animals and things that, you know, it's just funny how they seem to be lower than man and somewhat obey man. So God has given man this ability and man has done other ways to try and maintain it. But God meant for man to be something special. And this is what we have to recognize is when God loves us and he tells us to stray away from sin, it's because he wants us to be like him. Mm -hmm. But none of us have ever reached our full potential in the spirit or of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's something to see when a person is truly um, wound up with the glory of God. Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll go to Genesis 2 and verse 7. I just want to lay, lay the floor a little bit before we go. But Genesis 2 and 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed unto his nostrils of the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So right here you have the dust from the ground God took and formed the body of a man. Now you got scientists that won't believe this, but the funny thing is when man dies, does he not turn back to dust? Mm -hmm. No one can even argue that point. So you know that this is true. But if you just look at our flesh, this just looks like skin and everything else. As soon as the life leaves the body, this body will decay back to dust. Right. So right away we see man as a triune being. God took the dust from the earth. He formed man, gave him a body, and then it says he breathed into man of the nostrils of the breath of with his nostrils the breath of life. So that word for breathe is another word for pneuma, which is spirit, or it's roach in the Hebrew for breath. So God took the form of a man, uh, breathed his spirit into man, and man became a living soul. So right away we know that we are triune beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. Okay, we have a body. Um, well, we're a soul that has a body, and then that soul is a spirit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, um, I've seen three ways this is drawn. Like some people would do the bullseye, that would be the body, this is the soul, and the spirit is in the middle. Now, everybody can identify with maybe soul and body, but very few people understand what that place is in the spirit. And you won't get it until you really know who Jesus Christ is, so we can be 
you know, 100% of what he meant for us to be. But the body is just the life that you live in. Like, we can all stare at each other here, but I've never seen what you guys actually look like. All I know is the house that you live in. But the soul is, the, is where the real life of God really exists. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, the flesh is what we walk in. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay, so when you feel something or you have an urge to do certain things or, you know, whether you get anger or fear or whatever, we're dealing in the soul. And when you get to the spirit, that is the place that we worship God. This is where, you know, you become spirit to spirit with God. Okay, and that is the treasure that God put into our living vessels. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward uh, in, in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed. Uh, I want to skip down to some of this. Let's go to, um, let's see, verse 15. And it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden, to dress it and to keep it. Now we just read in in, uh, in uh, Ezekiel twenty eight that the devil himself was already in the garden of God before Adam and Eve were there when he was created. Verse sixteen. Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God gave them a commandment, you guys can eat from all the trees here, you know, but if you eat of this one tree in the midst of the garden, you will die. So he told them to stay away from it. And the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make for him and help me, uh, help me for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called them, every living creature, uh, that was the name thereof. So of every animal we see today, Adam named, verse 20. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found for him, and help me for him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So women get the name women uh, coming out of the womb of a man. Now I don't know what exactly what God did with the rib. My guess is maybe DNA, maybe something. But he took what he made from an original copy and he made the woman. Verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So what we make clear here is they glorified God with all that they had. He gave them dominion to do everything that they wanted to do. There were no problems except that he wanted them to stay away from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we're going to see what that is. So we'll skip to Genesis 3. And it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So, you know, the first question that the devil ever brought forth, because that's who this serpent is, 
he asked, you know, did God really say that? What he's pretty much asking is, are you sure that God told you that you shouldn't eat of the tree of every, you know, if you shouldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Or he knew what the Lord said, but now he's just asking. So he's trying to dialogue her in order to get her to engage him. Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So right away the devil called God a liar. He's telling Adam and Eve here, well, on the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open, and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, if we go back to Ezekiel 28, where it says that the devil himself was puffed up in pride because of his beauty and because of all that God gave him, you see how in turn, after he fell, he's trying to get man to look upon himself and not to God. And from this point on, this is what man struggles with. Man struggles every day to tell himself that I am nothing outside of God. I need the Lord even to direct me at work, even to win souls, even to go out and do the daily things that God wants me to do versus the things that the world wants me to do. So the enemy is trying the same trick to puff them up in pride and to get them um, self-conscious. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband uh, with her, and he did eat. So we understand here that he enticed her with, if you guys read First uh, John 2 in your spare time, he enticed them with the lust of the eyes, because she saw that it was good for food, you know, and the lust of the flesh, you know, and, and the pride of life by telling her that she would be as God. This was all it took for her to disobey God. And this is the same thing that the enemy uses today to keep us from God. We start getting a little far in Jesus, and there's the devil. See, the devil gets to the point where he first tries to stop you from getting to Jesus. If he's unsuccessful in doing so, the next move is, is to get you focused on you or to tell you that you're greater than what you are. Mm -hmm. So with the Lord, it's not really walking right or left. It's to stay in the middle of the road where the Lord wants you. Because I tell people, the devil is an excellent ballroom dancer. He's either going to dance you all the way right or all the way left. He's not going to keep you in the middle. So this guy knows how to wrestle. And this is why we have to ignore him and be as little children to walk with God. That's right. All right, so it says, um, verse 7, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So now they're self-conscious. They didn't even realize that they were naked. There are some people that believe, and I kind of do too, that before they took of this sin, that their bodies were full of God's glorifying light. So when the light goes out through sin, you can clearly see what's there. And I'll tell you, the, the less time we spend following the Lord, it is so easy to pay attention to your surroundings, mm -hmm. you know, and your self-consciousness. And that's another thing with body, soul, and spirit. There are three different kinds of consciousness. One type of consciousness is world conscious. 
So when you're a fleshly person, you care about the world, you care about all the things that are said in the world, you care what people, um, you know, you just, you feed off of what the world feeds on. When you become, when you're in the soul, you are self-conscious. So it's not really a bad place to be, but it's not a place to get stuck, okay? It's a place where you can be self-reflecting. I'm not right. I know I'm doing wrong. I know I haven't done what God has called me, you know? So you're, you're self-conscious. So then when you're God-conscious is when you are focused on God and you take you out of the equation, which is what you experience in the spirit. And this is why in the flesh you can have regret. In the, in the soul you can have remorse, which is what you feel like you might have done to yourself or someone else. But then you have repentance is what you experience when you're in the spirit with God. And the only way to truly walk with God is to be repentant and not do it again. So repentance is not just feeling sorry for something. Repentance is not just apologizing. It's the kind of thing you do that once you've done it and you repent of it, you turn away from it fully and you follow the Lord and all that he wants. Mm -hmm. Okay? So he says, um, verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. I mean, of the garden. And the Lord said, uh, called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, if you guys notice, Adam and his wife ran away from God. But in the beginning, God created them, and they were supposed to be with him and fellowship with him. So they were like God, so they could be in his presence. But you see, after listening to this destroyer, after listening to this serpent, he destroyed a relationship that God built. And this is what he wants to do to you and I. He wants to tell you God is not that important, so he can mosey on in. It's not because he cares for you. He knows that Jesus Christ is your only salvation. But if I can keep you from that, I've done my job. So now their relationship is destroyed. At one point, they waited for God to come into the garden and be with him. Now that he's on his way and they've done something wrong and they're not of the nature of God anymore, they're hiding themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is what sin does to us. You know, it keeps us from following the Lord. That's right. All right. So it says in nine, the Lord called unto Adam and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? So I'm getting an understanding that this tree of knowledge of good and evil, I believe, was an alternate source away from God. You can tell that he took away their innocence because it's like you can take two children and put them in a bathtub. I remember my mom used to give my sister and I a bath at three or four years old. We're in the tub taking a bath. And you don't recognize that your sister doesn't have the same parts as you. You don't even have a consciousness for that because you're innocent. You know, the world hasn't yet touched you, so you don't have an understanding of this. Mm -hmm. But then, once the devil pretty much helped them grow up through their own consciousness and everything, now, oh, I'm naked and I've got to hide myself. So the devil pretty much, you know, took away their innocence. Uh, verse 12, And the man said, The woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree and I did eat. So now, not only is Adam afraid and hiding himself from God, he's blaming God for giving him the woman. And this is another thing that you're going to find in fallen man that does not have God. He will not be accountable. 
he will not say, this is my fault, I'm doing wrong, and I need to do what it takes to feel right, to be right. What we do in fallen man's nature is make excuses. Well, I would have done it if you didn't go over and do this. You know, and God wants us to be up front so he can help us to deal with it. All right, so he says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. Uh, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, there are people that try and equate this to Satan's actual first fall. They believe that the word serpent means um, the Hebrew word nakash, which means that it's a bright, shining one. You know, that's what it also means, nakash, along with serpent. So there are some theologians out there, I'm not agreeing with them, but they believe that when the serpent came to Adam and Eve, what made it make sense to them was, hey, I know you. You know, like you're one of God's. Yeah, I know you. You're that cherub that hangs out with God. So if he came and spoke to them, that he would seem righteous, and they may say, you know what? He, I guess he knows because he's with God. So the word Nakash does mean bright, shining one, but it also means serpent. So I'm not agreeing with these people, but it sounds like when God said, upon thy belly shalt thou crawl, some people believe that the serpent was probably walking around and then he, now he's laying on his belly with no limbs. I don't know. I think it could have been he was in heaven and he fell. I don't know which came first. You know, I'm just saying that when he says you shall eat of the dust of the ground, that does mean kind of push lower towards the ground. Like you'll never be up here in the heavenlies with me in glory. All right. Now, is that true? Yeah. It might have been like in every way, like stature and everything. Mm -hmm. As I would explain in uh, Ezekiel, he was wearing these jewels, mm -hmm. and he didn't have them anymore. Right. So that's no. what it seems like. It was, everything was taken away what he had before. Mm -hmm. At first, he was, he was exalted, but not anymore. He was brought low. Right. So, I mean, you know, was this an actual serpent? You know, the Bible says serpent. I go with serpent. You know, I'm not going to go into philosophy, but I'll tell you, both would somewhat make sense. Mm -hmm. Because now he's going down to the ground like a literal serpent. Verse 15, And I will put enmity between the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So this was one of the first prophecies of God saying, Because the serpent had turned man successfully away from God, that God would put, there would be enmity between those who would follow the Lord versus those who were of the world. Okay, those who would be the serpent's seed. And we are all of the serpent seed until you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. Okay, and even then, he's still pulling things out of you. So this was a prophecy that God would come and crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent would bruise the heel of Jesus Christ, meaning that Jesus was crucified, you know, but the victory was still won in Jesus because he took all sin to the cross. Everything was applied to him. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So right away you see, at one point they were two beings that the Lord gave dominion to. I think the reason why God said this, because some people would say, well, God, um, Adam and Eve were equal in God's eyes. And I think that, you know, once they fell... 
that God put the man in charge. I don't think that's what happened. I think from eating of this fruit, that automatically that Jezebelian spirit would walk in. Mm -hmm. That now that we've got something different, because Adam and Eve, I think Eve already knew, Adam's in charge. I came out of Adam. I'm bones of his bones. I'm flesh of his flesh. God gave him dominion. He named the animals before I got there. Hey, no problem. We are all glorified and in tune with God. So there's no disparity. There's no uh, sedition. There's no um, contention. But I think after this fall, God knew that Eve would be like, Adam, you don't tell me what to do. And this is, you know, whatever, whatever. I ate the fruit and blah, blah, blah. And I think that he just knew that there would be something wrong with the creation, that they would not go together. Mm -hmm. So God had to instill rules. So you see, before this, they were good. But once they fell, now I've got to, I've got to keep you in a cage. It's kind of like when you're house training a dog, you know? Hey, yeah, you got to go out. What's that? Everything got worse after sin. Exactly. Yeah. He had to put boundaries where at one point when they were good, this was all that was needed. And this is why I tell people that follow the law, stop following it. Because if you get part of the Holy Ghost, that if you get the Holy Ghost, when you're good, the law doesn't apply to you. But if you're out there doing dirt, then you remember everything that's out there. You know what the Lord would tell us to do. <clears throat> okay, so he told her that... Uh, let's see. Uh, verse 17. Yeah. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring uh, forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So at one point they had dominion. God, um, you know, because of this, God had to lay down the law. He said, thorns and thistles will it bring forth to thee. So before this, death didn't exist. That meant even the animals lived forever. Once they sinned, because Adam was made from the earth, and so were the animals, and Adam was given dominion over the earth, what did Satan do? He cut the life source right off. He unplugged it. And once Adam fell, all of creation fell. Then came the thorns and thistles. This is why we had disease. This is why we got illness and all types of sickness, things that had nothing to do with the original copy that God made. So do you understand why this, this enemy is a destroyer? Because, man, they had something so beautiful with God that I believe it tempted the devil himself to fall. Now, he was puffed up by his pride, but, man, when he saw what God made... Man, you know, I got a problem with this because he's making them like him. Even me and all my glory, I can't be like this. So this is what I'm saying is that he came and he destroyed. And, and the Lord said, look at verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. So in, all right, so you want bread, you want food, you want this. Now where the garden used to just produce this fruit and God was the, the farmer, now you've got to work for your own. Off the sweat of your brow, now you've got to work for everything you want. Mm -hmm. Where at one point it was given to you. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like, um, I, I know that there's a difference between um, Adam and Eve and like what they did, mm -hmm. even though it was wrong. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> I know in due time like we, we are, we are um, given wisdom and we learn about like good and evil. Mm -hmm. But I think what set 
the, um, the devil apart is that he the angels were already <clears throat> given that that's right they were already taught taught about good and evil they were by his side that's as opposed right. to us humans we have to be taught it but in due time because we're not strong enough if we learn it before uh, we're supposed to learn it we could fall we could do something sinful that so. is exactly right and we're going to go further into that too exactly i'm glad james brought that up because you know the reason why the devil was damned forever is because he was in the presence of God. Now, Adam and Eve were there too, but they were made higher spiritually that they should have known better. Adam and Eve were innocent when this happened. So God allowing them to, you know, still be in the flesh and not damning them forever as spiritual beings was God's grace and mercy. It was his love. Because if he would have just judged them as spirit beings and they weren't innocent, the devil would have damned them forever. So this was a master stroke of God in your ignorance. And that's why the Bible tells you that for a time, God winks at your sin from through your ignorance. But over time, he expects more from you because now you know. And what you know makes you accountable. That's right. So it says in 19, In the sweat of thy face uh, shalt thou eat bread uh, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken from dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And sure enough, this is what happened. You know, that man was now subject to death at one point. He got to live forever with God. So you see how this destroyer did what he did? And now, he didn't just stop there. He didn't just say, all right, I messed you guys up. I ruined mankind. I know that the Messiah is supposed to come. But, you know, hey, if you get to see the Messiah, you see him. If you don't, you don't. No, he's now fighting with the creation from Genesis 3 all the way down to Matthew 27 or 28 up until Jesus was picked up. And now he's still fighting man, trying to keep man from finding God. Mm -hmm. So let's go to Matthew 13 real quick. I want to bring up a point. Are we done in Genesis? Yeah. Okay. So now you would think the devil would say... I mean, Adam and Eve are innocent. Why mess with them? I mean, look at them. They were pretty much like children. You see, this guy pulled no punches. He couldn't wait to come in and destroy. And while they were sitting there humiliated before God, you know, knowing that they did wrong and shame, he's sitting back somewhere laughing his butt off saying, you see, I got them to fall. And then he turns and looks at God like, see what I made your creation do? This guy has no feelings. I was actually looking for another one, but I guess I'll use this because some people would say, um, I was looking for something, I think in either Luke, Luke or Mark, but um, I'm just going to go forward with this one. All right, so uh, Matthew 13, we'll start at verse, in verse 18, because this is a walk of anybody in the world that has to make it through this obstacle course to find Jesus Christ. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When any one heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. Okay, so 
understanding that this one says wicked one, but there's another one that says the devil. And then I think in Luke, it says Satan outright, that he will come and take away that which was sown in a person's heart. This is why we can get close to the Lord. We can come and hear the word of God. And we can say, you know what? This is interesting. You know, it sounds like something I want to follow, you know. And then we'll get right out into the world. And the devil will say, they sound a little bit serious. I've got to stop them from hearing anymore. So what am I going to do when they get home? The kids are going to act crazy. All this stuff's going to go on. My husband's going to contemplate leaving me. My wife is going to go and do something because I cannot let them come back and hear more of God's word. I won't allow them to go and pray and seek God for real. So this is why we can have the emotion. I want to say, man, I want to follow the Lord. And then the enemy will come. Oh, man, this ain't going down. I've got to do something to stop this. And like I said earlier, he does not play by rules. Anything he can do to, to make some distance between you and God, he will do. Okay? Exactly. All right, so it says in verse 20, uh, But he that receiveth seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word in Anon, which means immediately with joy, receiveth it. Uh, yet hath he not rooted himself, but doeth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. So right away you got somebody that actually, they won't just somewhat understand it, they'll be happy to receive it, and they're joyful to follow the Lord. But then, you know, because they received it in emotion and not the spirit, they have no root in themselves. And this is why if we're led by our emotions, you know, we can't really follow the Lord like we want. Now, when we follow in the soul, happiness is a fruit of the soul. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. Okay, so happiness is what? A result of whatever you're dealing with at the time. Someone could come home and surprise you with a gift. Someone could tell you you got a raise on the job. And right away, you're happy. But if someone were to tell you you're fired... You know, right away, your emotions go downward. Now you're upset. Now, you know, oh, you don't bring me anything home. So that's that's soul stuff. You know, you're reacting to emotion. But joy is something you can have in the midst of sorrow. You can have peace in the midst of war. When God governs your thoughts, it's like, man, you know, all hell could be breaking loose around you. And you're like, you know what? I'm putting my faith and my peace in God, and I'm believing in Him. Mm -hmm. So Jesus makes it so easy for us because He bears the brunt end of everything that we deal with. Right. All we have to do is stay focused on Him, and He deals with every single problem that we can't handle. That's right. But you yeah. see, this person is not someone seeking the Spirit. This is someone who received it with, you know, they were excited about it. Somebody who's like uh, focused on too much emotion or mm -hmm. feeling. Yeah, just something new to do. I enjoy coming to Bible study and seeing my friends and this and that. That's not enough to keep you in. Mm -hmm. You got to come in for a purpose. You got to want Jesus. To be filled. Or wherever you go to receive the word, you know. So it says when persecution or tribulation comes, this person's offended. Why? They were only in it to feel good. They weren't in it for Jesus. They were only in it because at the time it sounded like a good idea. But then when it comes down to, hey... Did you know as a Christian that people are going to hate you for loving Jesus? Did you know that maybe even family and friends may want nothing to do with you for serving Jesus? 
because they refuse to. So, you know, these are people that will say, you know what, it's getting too hard. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just going to back out of it. Hey, I love my family, but they all know whether they come and follow the Lord or not, I'm making sure that I'm in. Mm -hmm. I've been fully, fully persuaded and convinced in my own heart that I cannot go back to the world, that I cannot just forget Jesus for anything else. When you've come to that reality, that's when you can say, I am rooted in Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's almost like you know too much to turn back. Mm -hmm. It's like now that you know what this world is really about and who governs it, and then you try and go back there, man, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know now, man. I know what this is about. So I am... Yeah, sorry. I know I keep bringing this up, but it makes me think of um, the lot situation with this wife. Mm-hmm. She she knew everything what was going on in that city and when Christ when God brought uh, them out from it they mm-hmm. weren't supposed to look back but the moment she looked back it was like she made a decision mm-hmm. that she missed it like that she wanted to go back so exactly. it's the same thing with with the devil that he he was given um, the angels know good and evil but the moment he made the decision it's like you know he made it mm-hmm. on his own and see right now as we try and understand in the flesh and we're relying on the Holy Ghost to really present this that you're going to hear a lot of things that are going to seem weird. And believe me, you're not the first person to feel like this here. Believe me. Everybody's been there. Everyone's felt this. Everyone's been like, man, this just sounds so hard. But that's not you talking. That's the flesh talking. That's why the Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mm-hmm. So as you you know come and you get into God's word and you learn about Jesus Christ... You experience what the Bible calls the washing of the water by the word. Like time, little little by little, the Lord is just scrubbing us, just making us clean, just, you know, taking away those things that are against him. Mm-hmm. All right, so this person is offended. You know, someone could say something like um, homosexuality is a sin. Now, you may say, wait a minute, I got a cousin that's gay. And you know what? I actually do. But guess what? The Lord has shown me that Jesus Christ, okay, is the right way. And homosexuality is no different than any other sin. If you can say this person is adulterer, this person is a liar, this person is a thief, you you might want to accept Jesus, but if you got any of these things in your life, there's that feeling of, wait a minute, I'm offended, because I thought this was all about that which is good. So if you're rooted in Jesus Christ, he takes these feelings away that we may see things the way that he sees it. This is verse 22. He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and, um, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. So what we understand too is there may be people that get past stage one and two. They're here to receive it. They believe that they want to follow the Lord. But man, you know, my job is more important than God. My family and my friends are more important than God. You know, I've got things to do that God is going to have to understand. Though in doing so, the, the enemy uses this to choke off the word so you won't get Jesus. And then right away you become unfruitful. So this is, these are things that we've got to be wary of because I've recognized when I lost my job, I hate to keep bringing this story up um, this past October or well, September, you know, right out of Gresham Station. They let, man, they did us so cold. They cut us off the, the day that we were coming to work on a Friday. They just said, uh, guys, well, we have a new company here. We want you guys out of here. I was like, 
Yo, they're playing, right? Because I know that this is not what's really happening. When they cut us off, you know, we had nothing. But I remember um, I called the office and I said, hey, can I get work anywhere else? And they were like, well, we got Tuesday nights for you if you want to work. And, you know, we were just like, I was just like, I, I can't. I, I got stuff to do Tuesday night. And they said, well, what about Sunday? And I'm like, I got something to do Sunday. And they said, okay, what about Tuesday? And I'm like, I already told you, I can't do it Tuesday. But then the Lord started bringing things to my attention. Why do they keep offering me Tuesdays and Sundays? And it's because I'm doing something that the Lord wants me to do. So he was going to offer me in a desperate situation with no income. Hey, you can either take the deal or I've got nothing for you. And, and if something is important enough for us, the Lord will work things out in your favor. But we can't bend to what the enemy wants us to do because you'll never serve God at that point. So sometimes you got to be, you know what, no matter what. I'm going to do what I need to do to make this work for me. And you watch, the enemy will stop messing with you. He'll kind of back off a bit because he sees, no matter what, I'm going forward with what needs to be. That's right. You know, so, um, so, you know, the cares of this life is what choke these people off. But he that received the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understand it. Uh, which also uh, beareth fruit and bringeth forth some in hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So these people have became fruitful because they have forsaken things to walk with God, and God has made them fruitful. Mm -hmm. So this is an obstacle course that we've got to get through that the enemy will not let us get through it. I'm telling you, we don't understand how important um, trying to walk with Jesus is to the enemy. He cannot afford for you to do it because you know what his biggest fear is? You may just end up another one in this world like Jesus Christ, and I won't be able to handle you. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that I can t entice you with. You've got the spirit. You're walking around healing the sick. You're preaching the gospel. You're, you're breaking people free from this world, and you've got them following Jesus. I just can't afford it because... One thing about the devil is he does not underestimate you or I, okay? I don't care how small and minute and ignorant we may be and slothful. The devil knows unless I can entice you to not follow Jesus that you will become a thorn in my side. Mm -hmm. So he does not underestimate you. He knows the potential in every single one of us. But if he can destroy it, he will do it. All right, so let's move on. Let's go to uh, let's go to John ten. Oh, I was gonna say real quick. It was yeah. Luke eight and twelve, where it said the devil instead of the wicked one. Right, the devil. Like he would come in to try and destroy. All right, so it's Saint John chapter ten, and we'll start at verse one. We're going to cover a lot of stuff and get a lot of things done. Well, hopefully, Lord willing. Mm -hmm. John 10 and verse 1, and it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So the Lord is also speaking spiritually here, because there are a lot of people that will say, 
I don't need God to be able to have some spiritual experiences, and they're telling you the truth. There are a lot of people that go to these spirit gods and these demons and these, um, what do you call it, these familiar spirits, you know, these familiars that will show you witchcraft and how to do certain things um, in the spirit, but it won't be of the spirit of God. So God is like, Jesus is like, if you climb up some other way instead of through me, the door, then you're a thief and a robber because you're trying to gain something spiritually that is not of God's um, way. All right, verse 2. But he that entereth in by the door of the sheepfold of the sheep, I mean, is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So, you know, those who follow Jesus, they know Jesus' voice. Verse 5, And the stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So when we get rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, there won't be anybody able to deter you from the faith because the Lord will give you, one, his nature, but two, he'll give you a spirit of discernment that you can recognize what things are of God and what things aren't. Because in the flesh, we can be easily deceived. Verse 6, This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were, which he spake unto them. And then, uh, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Okay, so there were other people out there, false prophets, false people in Jesus. You know, you got a lot of fake um, wannabe Jesus groups out there. You got the Catholics, you have the um, Jehovah Witnesses, you've got the Mormons, you've got the World Mission Society Church of God. All of them will say things pertaining to the Bible, but they're not of the right spirit nor of the right doctrine. Okay, so it says, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So when you enter in through the door of Jesus Christ, you've got, you know, life. Look at verse 10. The thief, which is Satan, cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus comes to restore that which man once had and to fill him with his spirit. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now some people would wonder, well, how can a devil steal from you? There are many ways he can steal from you. For one, he would love to take away your confidence. He would love to take away your faith. He would love to destroy your family. He would even love to take away love between family members or, you know, wives and husbands. How does he do this? He entices us with lust. Okay? He can take away from a godly relationship, people in the, in the, in the spirit of God, and he can turn them onto fornication, adultery, all sorts of sin that will go against the things that God wants. So in many ways, he steals from you because he's not giving you the things that are necessary for growth. Yeah. Your eternal life. Your eternal life he can take away, your salvation. So he's a thief. This is what the Bible is making it clear. So Jesus comes to help and to give abundance. The thief comes to steal and kill and to destroy. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. This is Jesus speaking. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catches them and scattereth the sheep. And this is why, you know, again, if you're somebody that's teaching the gospel, we can't take this lightly. We have to tell people the truth. Why? Because you care for the sheep of God. You care for those that are of the Spirit. You don't want them to go off track. And I know I have annoyed a lot of people in their walk with Jesus because someone will find something that's a good idea. And, you know, I hate to be that person, but it was done to me, too. You know, this is how we grow. But then you tell them, well, you know that this is satanic, right? You know that this movie is not of God and, you know, whatever. And, you know, some people may be, he always got to say something about this and that. But you're really trying to help a person. Hey, man, stay focused. There are a lot of tricks out there. I was the type watching a movie with people. Yeah, yeah, that's an Illuminati symbol right there. And you can tell what X-Men really stand for with this and that. People get mad. Why do you always think that it has something to do with that? Because you don't want people to be lost. But you've got to tell people the truth if you know it. Because the enemy will deceive you and, and get you thinking that things are which they aren't. Exactly. Verse 12, but he is in higher length and, and not the shepherd whose own the sheep or not. Seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catches them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is in hireling and careth not for the sheep. And this is why you got a lot of people out there. You got a lot of false prophets. The devil has entered into the church. He's gone into places that will shout Jesus, but they don't even believe in Jesus. They're out to destroy the body of Christ. And you got a lot of people following the church, but they're not following the spirit of God. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But the devil learned long ago... I cannot be outside of the church of God and be effective. I have got to be in the church so that way I can be more effective. Second Corinthians 11. We'll start at verse 1. 2 Corinthians 11 and 1. Everyone there? All right. And it says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul is telling people the things that he wants to tell them as far as, you know, watching over them with godly jealousy. Because he wants them to be espoused to present themselves to Jesus Christ as a chaste virgin. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and we turn people away from the world unto him, what we're doing is trying to help people to get the spot and blemish out of their lives mm -hmm. that they may pursue God. Mm -hmm. And God and the Holy Ghost, you know, they work with you to a place where it'll be like you had never sinned. Imagine being corrupted. Imagine being a criminal that killed 30 people. You know, and now you're facing 25 years to life. Okay, so your life is pretty much over as far as the physical world is concerned. But to have the gospel preached to you for the shame to be taken away, to know of the eternal life of Jesus Christ, and, and, and being of the Spirit of God, he takes away all that humility, all that pain, all that hurt. And he frees you from this world 
It would be as if that man had never murdered or raped anybody. If he had never done any dirt in his life, God can restore a man to wholeness. The, the book that we're reading right now, okay, was from a guy who murdered the church of God. This was a guy, Paul, he thought that he was on the right side of things. He, he killed Christians. Anyone that followed Jesus, this guy had something to do with their death. But God found him, restored him, renewed him, and this guy wrote the rest of the New Testament, most of it. So God is a God of redemption to building up that which the destroyer loves to just, you know, to take down. Verse 3, but see, we have a problem. So he wants to present them. He's hoping that they be presented to Christ as a chaste virgin. But the problem is in verse 3. But I fear less by any means. But I fear less by any means. Remember, I told you, our adversary doesn't play by any rules. He fears just by any means. As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So his subtlety would be his softness. Now, of course, you're not going to do something evil, okay, or look evil to get someone to do evil. You're going to come with a softness. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, um, I just want you to know I'm your friend. I don't have a problem with you. And, you know, I just have love inside of me for you. And I care about you and everything. And by the way, are you coming with me tonight? Because we're going to go, you know, steal some cars. But, you know, we only got to do it for cash sake because this is how we take care of ourselves. You know, so the enemy will always try and butter you up just before he sticks that roll in the oven. So we've got to be wary of this. Just because someone is speaking nice and loving and sweet does not mean that they come in the right spirit of God. They can entice you to do that which is not of God. So the enemy didn't come in his boldness, in his intimidation. He came through subtlety, you know, softness, mm -hmm. craftiness. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So he's saying that a lot of people, you know, will tell you, you need to do this, you need to keep the Sabbath, you know, you need to fast and pray, you need to do all this stuff to be with Jesus, you know, and um, what he's saying is that gets away from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with fasting and prayer, but first you have to know that it's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that we need to be focused on. Once the Spirit has been imparted to us, and then we, you know, start to see things the way he sees it, by nature, we will automatically do the right things of God. But you got a lot of religious institutions out there and people telling you, you need to do this, 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 and this to be Christian. And it's like, no, you obey Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God gets imparted to us, and through his nature, we will be like Christ. Mm -hmm. So people will take you away from the simplest of things as in following Jesus unto a whole bunch of other stuff that corrupts minds. Why? Because I can say, I'm keeping the Sabbath and you're not. So right away, I'm proud. You know, I'm fasting and you're not. So that makes me one up on you. You know, I've got the Holy Ghost and you don't. So this is, this is the, the type of corruption that can sink in because it's focused on Jesus and he takes us through the process. Right. We're not supposed to worship the gifts or how far apart, how far um, up we are with the Lord. Verse 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, 
ye might bear well with him. So you may bear well with Jesus if you acknowledge that there is another Jesus, so you need to follow the right Jesus. There's another gospel, but not the gospel of Jesus Christ and another spirit. That if you can, if you know that these things exist, and this is how you expose the enemy, that it can bear well with you. Because just because people will mention Jesus, you've got to ask people today, what Jesus are you talking about? What Jesus do you mean? Because there are a lot of Jesuses. Which one are you speaking of? You can't, because everyone says God today. You ever notice that? You say God. Oh, God will do this. I'm a child of God. You know, God loves everybody. But then if you mention Jesus, then that makes it personal. People get offended. Like, wait a minute, you're talking about that in here. So people don't mind talking about God because you can make anything your God. That's right. But when you talk about Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now we've got a problem because this sounds like the same God that wants us to be holy, that wants us to follow him, that wants his son to be the only way. So we've got to recognize that there's another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. Verse 5. For I suppose I was not a wit behind the very chiefest apostles, but though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly, uh, throughly made manifest among you in all things. So Paul says he's rude in speech. So Paul was making it clear. He's out there, hey, you guys need to get right. This needs to go on. I'm not pulling any punches. Isaiah 58 and 1 says that cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions. This is what we need to do. We can't worry about feelings. If we love people, we will tell them the truth. That's right. All right. Verse um, seven. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? So he's saying, am I abased? Is there a problem with me that I want you to be exalted by the right gospel, by following God? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. Now, when he says he robbed, he didn't really rob them. He went to other churches and said, because Corinth was one of those churches that had a lot. But he took from certain churches and said, you know, you know, we want to take care of the people of God. You want to do these things for God. But he also robbed churches in the past by killing Christians. Mm -hmm. All right, verse 9. And when like, I, It seemed like he was also saying, like, um, maybe... It, it seemed like he was also saying, like, he robbed churches in the sense that, um, like, I guess some churches, like, pay, you know, or, like, want people to give money. But he was preaching God freely, so... Mm -hmm. um, that, that great point. That's a great point. <laughs> that is exactly right, because... One thing people do hate is the gospel. Thanks, James. But, you know, it, it's true that when you are preaching the gospel, a lot of people don't like that. They want you to come and be dependent on them every week, giving them a tithe or giving them something to keep them coming. But if you're preaching the gospel freely and you are telling people what they need to know because you want to see them grow, you, you cause problems, especially when you got the world out there paying attention. Hey, you know what? I'm going to go to this church. Well, I'm going to go here, get full of the Holy Ghost, learn what I need to, and get built up and do the work myself. But when you do that, you become an enemy of these false churches out there that want you every week. Man, give us the dough. We just want the dough. He's doing it freely. So that's a great point that James brought up. Mm -hmm. All right, verse 9. And when I was present with you and wanted, 
I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me to brethren, uh, which came from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. So Paul is coming doing everything that is asked of him. Verse, verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. So Paul went to preach the gospel no matter what he had to face. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. So he's saying, it's kind of being sarcastic here. Like in other words, you know what, because I don't love you? Like in other words, he's telling them, I'm not your enemy. You know, I'm here preaching the truth, telling you what you need to know. And only God knows that Paul is telling the truth. Verse 12. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. So he is pretty much doing what it takes to get the brethren on point with him. Even if it means preach the gospel to their offense or whatever. It's all about the admonition and the correction. Verse 13. For such are false apostles. So Paul is like, I'm not the issue here. But if you want to know who these individuals are that you need to be skeptical of, this is what he says in verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. For no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers shall be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So we understand that Jesus, or Paul is saying here, that Satan is transformed as an angel of light. Now you remember he was beautiful in Ezekiel 28. Then he became a terror once he fell from God. Now how can this guy get people to follow and obey him if he can't entice you? He must entice you. So obviously he's not going to come as a monster. He's going to show up as an angel of light. Someone that's only trying to help people out. A false symbolization of purity. You know, just trying to be that which is what people think is godly. And this is why we have to have our eyes open to see what the Lord wants. I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me that I may boast myself a little. Now, we're not going to go into this, but in your spare time, read 2 Corinthians 17 to 31. Paul will tell you everything that he went through preaching the gospel of Jesus. The devil tried to kill him many times. He was stoned. Mm -hmm. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead, naked. I mean, all sorts of things. He was up in a room um, with a, a governor tried to kill him. He was in prison. He had to escape out of a window being lowered down from a basket with a rope just to be set free. But it wasn't so he can go and live. It was so he can go and continue to preach. Okay, so anybody that's out following the Lord, the enemy will come against you. Let's go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. What was it? 2 Peter. Let's see. It's 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter 4, actually. Sorry. 1 Peter 4. It's at the back of the Bible. One of the ways also that the enemy's gotten into the church is, let's say you have someone who's been living on the street their whole life, or maybe they've been like a prostitute or whatever, and they, somehow they know, they 
the Holy Spirit guides them and says, hey, you know what? I need God in my life. I'm going to go to this church over here mm-hmm. and see what can be done for me. And they'll walk in with the clothes off their back because that's all they have. And that's and they, another good. So they walk right into the front door, and they get the you know the people in there giving the high and mighty looks, and they walk right out, saying, "Man, God can't be in here," you know, because no, it's totally. Like, that's exactly right. And you see what, like we said, the enemy, he knows no boundaries. He will right. play by anything. That we just read in the last chapter, he was in the church. He came as a false apostle of Jesus Christ. He didn't come as the enemy. He came pretending to be a friend. And this is one of the things that makes him a destroyer of churches. Right. Not the church of Christ, but, you know, these churches that are trying to be. All right, so First Peter 4 and verse um, 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, um, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from, hath ceased from sin. So once you're done suffering from the flesh and your obedience becomes fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the sin will cease in your life. Verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. So one of the other ways that the enemy will try and come at us is, you know, the way that the Gentiles were, which is the, you know, vanity of their own minds, their lust, excess of wine, like drinking, you know, a lot, uh, revelings, which is kind of like rioting, and then there's the banqueting, which is like partying. And these are things that people find so enticing, so, you know, fun, but these things are merely a distraction You know, they're a distraction from God. Verse 4, wherein they think it strange that ye run not uh, with them to the same excess of riot, I'm speaking evil of you. So, you know, what I'm saying right now, when I'm talking about this rioting and pretty much this everyday life that everyone is enticed to follow, for me to say that these things are not of God because this is everyday life and we need to be more focused on Jesus Right away, people will speak evil of you because they'll look at you as, you know, you're an enemy of us. You're trying to stop us from having fun. And I don't think there's anything wrong with banqueting as long as, you know, there are, there's ways to do things. But a, a banqueting is kind of like the way that you live. You live in parties. You live in excess. You live drinking every weekend. You live in all these things that will take you far away from the calling of God. Mm-hmm. So people will speak evil of you. Watch when you start to follow Jesus. People will tell you, oh, man, you know, you you think you're better than the rest of us. No, you don't. You're just living the right way, and you want others to experience Jesus. Mm-hmm. Verse 5, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause um, was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the God, according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all all things, have fervent charity, which is love among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, right away, if you love somebody and the charity that agape love, that selfless God love lives in you, 
You want people to know about Jesus. You don't want anyone to go to hell if you know that hell is real. Verse 10 or 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, this is why, you know, a lot of people won't turn to Jesus because you got a lot of self-righteous people out there trying to tell people what they need to do and this and that and, you know, looking down on people instead of just telling people the truth and treating people like you love them, you know, like showing them the love of God that, hey, man, you're not above me. You can come and eat with me. I don't care if you are homeless. I want you to know this Jesus. But when you don't love your neighbor, you know, you, you grudgingly do things. Verse 10, as every man have received the gift, even so minister the same one to another and good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do as of the ability which God giveth that which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praised and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So right away he's telling us that if we're gonna do things and we are believers, we should do things and say things that glorify God. Meaning the things of the world are not important. They're only a distraction and a waste of time. This is verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, what I want to talk about right now is this fiery trial because this is one of the important things about the spirit of prophecy and revelation is that a lot of people will know that there are things happening to them that they can't explain. So when you got the spirit of prophecy upon you or, or revelation of the Lord or discernment, you can come to a lot of conclusions without evidence. It will make sense to you, but not to others. Like, for example... You know, a lot of people think that religious people will go somewhere and they'll say, hey, man, why are you late? And that person would say, you know what? I was trying to be on time. I was trying to get done what I needed to do today, but the devil held me up. It just seemed like all of a sudden I get on the bus. There's a sick passenger. You know, we're caught up in traffic before they said everything was fine and now it's not. Now my son is sick. This is going on. This is happening. Why are these things happening to me? And some people would say, well, it's, you know, it's the enemy. He doesn't want you doing the things that God wants. Now, to the carnal mind, that sounds crazy. That's a, how can you blame somebody that we can't even see and believe that this is what's holding us up? But when you really are, when things are revealed to you by the Spirit of God, you know it's the enemy that's stopping things from happening. The timing is just way too perfect. Now that I want to do this, all of a sudden I got a dead family member. Now that I'm doing this, now all now I'm getting fired just because of this was happening. So we got to understand the fiery trials that are, that are in our lives and who's behind it. Because if we don't, if we aren't able to pull the strings together, then we're in trouble. We're lost. But see, when you follow God, He will begin to tell you, "Man, this is a trap." Don't you see what's going on here? You know, there's a real enemy behind the scenes pulling the strings. And when that becomes your reality, man, you can easily say, I'm not going to let him stop me. Devil, you're a liar in the name of Jesus. You are not going to prevent what I need to do for the Lord today. And some people say, but your mom needs you. 
devil, you're a liar. You are not going to prevent me from doing what the Lord wants me to do today. It doesn't matter who it's about or what's going on. When you are focused on God, the enemy will use anything and anyone to distract you. And we're going to find this out, so let's move on. Let's go to Matthew 16 real quick. We have got to make our faces like flint, like the Lord told Ezekiel. We've got to have those foreheads like flint to where, you know, we've got to stay focused on him. We've got to wear the full armor and truly be of Jesus Christ to walk with him. Because the enemy will do anything, anything, anything to stop you from doing his will. All right, we'll start at uh, Matthew 16 and verse 21, and it says, from that time forth began Jesus to shoot unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes to be killed and be raised again the third day. So a quick example is Jesus is just telling his disciples, hey guys, I'm not going to be always with you. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer a lot. You guys are not going to understand, but this is what I must do. So one of his disciples heard this. Now, imagine having a loved one tell you, I, um, you know, I've got to go and preach for God. Um, you know, the Lord is calling me to do this. And they're like, well, where are you going? I'm going to North Korea. And you, what? You're going to North Korea? You know, yeah, I got to go there. The Lord is telling me to go there and to preach and, you know, do his will. Now, right away, first thing people are going to come to you and say is this. That's a communist country. Don't you know of all the trouble over there, man? You can't go. They're going to kill you. So the, the enemy will always try and railroad you from your belief. And if that doesn't work, look at what comes next. Verse 22, Then Peter took him, took Jesus, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. So he thinks that Jesus Christ is speaking negative, and he's just saying, Lord, no, you're just having a bad day. Look. You know, don't don't think that way. I love you. We're going to be together. We're going to walk together. Lord, you're going to be fine. Okay, this is what the devil wanted. But look at what Jesus says. Verse 23, But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So right away we understand that Jesus perceived that Peter had another spirit that wanted him to, Peter was speaking in his flesh, and the Lord identified with it right away. Mm -hmm. So he said, get behind me, Satan, like get out of my way. You're offending me because you're trying to keep me from doing the things of God, and not the, and, and instead you want me to do the things of men, which is worry. And, you know, we, we're always together, so this is how it should be. No, those are, those are the enemies that, that God wants us to avoid. And then Jesus said, um, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will lose his life, whosoever shall save his life, who will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So, the Lord is telling him, hey, 
If you deny yourself and you follow after me, you can be with me. But if you want the world and you don't want me, the world will keep you from doing what I command you to do. And verse 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So you can have all the riches, all the fun. You can marry the most beautiful woman or man. You can have the most lovely children. You can live in a palace made of pure gold. What does that matter at the end of your life when you're on your deathbed and you know that you're getting close to the end and there were so many people that said to you, you need to come to Jesus. And now you got your last minutes before you and you're about to slip into the unknown, which people call eternity, and you have no idea what's going to happen to you. Can you imagine? There's no greater terror than that. I have achieved everything, but even all of this couldn't stop me from the enemy of God, which is death. But only God can give you eternal life that will carry you from that point on. It's a frightening thing. So this has got to become your reality, is to know what is beyond this, because the enemy will do whatever it takes to take it from us. That's right. All right, so we'll go to... Um, I should have just stayed there. Now I'm going to move back. First uh, Peter five. Sorry, guys. I should have just gone there because we were already in First Peter four. So you see that the destroyer even walked in one of Jesus' disciples. Yep. Even went there just to try and stop him. He will use whoever he has to use to stop you from walking with Jesus. Exactly. And until people realize, until people realize that they will never see it, they'll be distracted all the day long. And you can even tell them, man, the devil's trying to use your family against you. What you know, you need to see this. You need to come to the Lord. My family's not demon possessed. You didn't say that they were demon possessed. You just said that that's what the devil's trying to use. I have seen people slip away dying, and I'll tell you what. There's nothing like the look that is on their faces before they go. Mm -hmm. It is almost like a, you know, can you help me? I don't know. It's like an uncertain look that they have. I mean, and you can just see them like just fighting, you know, just for that last breath, knowing that this is the very end. I mean, it's a, it's a terrifying thing. First Peter 5 and 1, the elders which are among you, I exhort who I am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So Paul speaking, or Peter speaking to the elders, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not uh, for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So he's saying, feed the flock of God just for the sake of the Lord, you know, willing, ready to do it, but not for money, like James was talking about in Second um, Corinthians chapter eleven, verse three. Neither be neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ex examples to the flock. So we shouldn't be lords over God's inheritance. I don't care if I'm up here talking about Bible study and you know trying to introduce people to the Lord. I'm no more than your brother in Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's all I am. I have no title. I've got no special place with God. I'm nobody who knows God better than anybody here. Okay? If people walk with Christ, 
God wants us all to be of one body and of the same spirit. We may have all different offices and positions, but we are no, lo no more than brothers and sisters in Christ. Pastors are not your fathers. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd, which is Jesus Christ, shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto, unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. Uh, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. So we need to be humble. We should never be puffed up in pride towards one another. We should always have this humility to want to exalt the brethren, not stand over them. All right, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, notice that Peter is talking humility. But see, it is pride that got Satan himself to fall. How can you be right there in the presence of God and let it all go because you thought you were better? So Peter is telling you guys, you know, stay submerged, you know, because remember what happened to Adam and Eve. Remember what happened to the enemy. Stay, stay on the radar. Be with the Lord. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So if you give it all to Jesus, imagine what you get back in return. If you decide to give it to him, you can truly live in, in that perfect, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That perfect life, you know, to be that example that Jesus wants us to be. Verse 8, be sober. So sober means to be serious. And the devil never lets up whenever we're having study. Now all of a sudden you got home improvement going on upstairs. Why? Because we're trying to present the gospel. Exactly. See, sure. now this is, look, if some strange thing happened unto you. Yeah. Now some people would say, well, it's Sunday. Everybody has to clean. But you had all day. You wait till 5 o'clock. You know? Week. But see, I'm not saying they're doing that intentional. The enemy could be saying, instead of listening what's going on down there, mm -hmm. why don't you get ready for tomorrow? Why? Because I can't stand the chance in you hearing this. That's right. So it says, be sober, meaning be serious, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Mm -hmm. So we've got to understand that if the devil walks like this, the only reason that you and I are still alive is because we have chosen Jesus Christ, or it is his grace until we get to know him. Every day the devil is trying to kill you. He's trying to get a lot of people that, you know, they're out there partying. He's trying to get you to go home to some chick, you know, or whatever, or do this. She may have HIV. You never know what way the enemy will try and pull you into something. Mm -hmm. Now, I remember when I was in the world and I used to club and party and stuff, I remember I would try and talk to certain women and, you know, it looked like things were good. And then all of a sudden stuff didn't work out. Like either I got sick or they got sick and went home. And I'm like, oh, man, tough break, Derek. You didn't get to know her. But you don't know. That woman could have had something. And had I hung out with her, there's no telling what could have happened to me. Mm -hmm. All it takes is to not be under the armor just once, not from under God's protection. That's right. Man, there was this guy. He had mushrooms growing out of his ears. Okay? He was covered from head to toe in all kinds of purple blotches. This guy's body was swollen up in his limbs. And he was skin and bones. And this guy had HIV. And he said, well, he was dying of full-blown AIDS. And he said, you know, I've given my life to the Lord for the last couple of years. He said, but all I could think about is the Lord told me 
to get my life together, and I would not. Now imagine living your last days out like that. And I'm not using, you know, that's an example that this person is just recognizing, man, he's giving me chance after chance after chance, and I blew it. Mm -hmm. Running after a skirt, running after this or that. You don't know, man. And if the devil knows that there is something that he's got in you, as we talked about earlier, he's going to pull the plug. Believe me. Why should he let you go and be with Jesus? Oh, you like lust? Okay. I'm going to show you something real nice. Because tonight, I am planning your destruction. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 5. Devil knows your weaknesses, and especially when you're going to the Lord, he's going to pull on all of them right That's in the right. beginning. So you have to expect that. And just Amen. Begin. Not only will he pull them in the beginning, he'll come on he, back. Yeah. You know, so, okay. But your most vulnerable ones usually when you're a baby Christ. Just... The devil will destroy anything. You know why he hates marriages and families? Because they represent the, kid, the heavenly kingdom in heaven, you know, oh, yeah. with God. Mm -hmm. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The devil hates that. So what does he want everybody to be? <clears throat> a bunch of bastards, a, a rejected spirit like he was. Because if you notice, the devil, he may be the father of some that follow him, but he himself has no father. He once had the heavenly father overall because the angels were known as the sons of God. He blew that. So now he's a vagabond, so what does he want? A bunch of vagabonds. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there thinking the other day, I think we were talking about how many children that we know growing up have no father, and that is no accident. The devil loves to destroy the family structure to destroy the children. So that's why men of God have got to stay strong in, in, in their families. Mm -hmm. All right, Ephesians 5, and we'll start at... Um, verse 7 and it says be not ye therefore partakers of the, uh, with them so he's talking about those who are the children of disobedience the children of wrath I should start from verse 1 sorry be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also have loved us and have given himself for us in offering and in sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savior so God wants us to be sweet smelling because we have Christ formed in us not the stench of self or self love mm -hmm. verse 3 but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness let it not be once named among you as as becoming saints as becoming saints so once you're a saint of God all uncleanness and covetousness and fornication are out of your midst so that means that, you know, even your thoughts will become governed by the Lord. Verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving to things. So you see how foolishness and jesting and talking about nonsense and things, these things upset the Lord. These are not what saints do. Saints stay focused on the will of God because there is nothing funny about the adversary walking around devouring people. There's nothing funny about millions of people every day going to hell not knowing Jesus Christ. You want to laugh at something? Laugh about the goodness that God has given you to do God's will. Mm -hmm. But all this other stuff? Oh, man. But, you know, this is, this is what's there. So, you see, some people don't think jesting is a sin. Some people don't think foolish talking is a sin. Verse 5. For this ye know that for a no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, 
uh, have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And I can tell you firsthand with these things, speaking of filthiness, I was someone that ran after women in the world. I know what that's like. Covetousness. I remember when we were, you know, bouncing back in the day doing door hustles. Man, it was like the money was never going to go away. Oh, a couple asked to skip the line and we just, all right, we don't even care about the people out there waiting in the cold. Somebody offered us 80 bucks for two people. You know, so right away, you're like, hey, man, we don't do that here. And then afterwards, hey, I'll meet you around the corner. You know, and, and but you would just leave people out there and just be covetous. These things are intoxicating. Jesting, I was a class clown. It is intoxicating to be funny. You can be sitting in class, know you're about to get in trouble, and, you know, something could be telling you, hey, man, be quiet. Just do your work. And you, yeah, but I bet his mother did this and that, and everyone laughs. Those feelings are intoxicating, but they are so against God. We've got to pull it in and recognize, man, what I'm saying right now is foolishness. If every idle word will be taken into judgment, then we even have to watch what we say. Because the enemy will bring us into that. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So the children of disobedience, if we just hold where you are, go to Ephesians 2 and 1, and it says, If you have he, and you have he quickened, uh, who were dead in trespass of sin. So the Lord had restored those who were trespasses. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, filling, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So he's talking about the, the prince of the power of the air. Another way that the devil works and he destroys <clears throat> lives is through music. Now, we have talked about before how the devil was made with taverns, tambourines. This guy had pipes in them, like, you know, some type of brass instrument or woodwind instruments. He had these things in him. So if he led the praise and worship, he understands music. Mm -hmm. And this is why you got Lil Wayne pumping into children's ears and you got little kids wanting to be thugs, man. That's a spirit. That's not kids trying to hang their pants to be someone. I have a teaching coming up called the Thug Spirit, but we're going to see that the Thug Spirit goes all the way back to India. All right, there was a group called the Thuggy Cult. They hung their pants. They dressed a lot like the children dress today. Same mentality. That's where we get the term thug. They used to wait on the side of the road and knock people in the head or murder or rape or whatever, take their things, and, and then go and worship their goddess Kali, which is the goddess of death in Hinduism. Okay, so this is a spirit that people take in. You got Beyonce out there shaking it, bootylicious, teaching your daughter how to be a whore. You got Rihanna talking about work, 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 work. You know, out there doing their thing, trying to get whatever they can. But these are the type of things that the prince of the power of the air, because he's the power of the internet. He's the prince over the airwaves. He's the prince over all these things that we think are so entertaining. And this is what's destroying people. You know, you don't get these ideas on your own. You get inspiration right through the music. I know. 
When I was younger, I listened to Ice Cube, Death Certificate, NWA, whatever it was. And sure enough, I had a rag on my head, hat backwards, pants hanging. But I just felt like I was somebody from that. I talked like them. I acted like them. I referred to women the same way that they referred to them. This is another way that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. If he can make you think less of yourself and others... You glory in your shame. So you can never be like God wants you to be. This is how the enemy works. You know, so we can go back, but this is what the children of disobedience does. Little Wayne and all those guys, they're children of disobedience. These false uh, politicians and everything out there, children of disobedience. Mm -hmm. Cutting laws and things that have nothing to do with God because they want the people of God suffering. Yep. Alright, so it says in verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers of them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So when we were ignorant to these things, it didn't matter, but now the Lord wants us, because we know, to walk righteous. Verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, meaning expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. So, you know, again, I know a lot of us think that we're talking about things that are harmless. But you know what? Even talking about rap and all this other stuff, I'm even questioning here what the Lord says, man, is this even important? This is all foolishness. You're wondering about people that the Lord is going to send to hell. These things shouldn't even be with us. Mm -hmm. We should glorify the Lord with our mouths. That's right. Verse 13. And what did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of a man's heart, the mouth speaketh. So we can't just call ourselves Christians. We've got to be in that place of, hey, what's inside of me is what's going to come out of me. Mm -hmm. If I'm filthy inside, then what's outside is going to show. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly. See that you walk looking around, being aware. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So... Even if we're not partaking in, like, let's just say we have chosen Jesus. Paul here is saying, man, awake and walk around looking around, being careful. Because, you know, the enemy, although he may not be physically around, he can hide in the shadows to make things happen. And this is why the devil doesn't care how many people go to church. All he's got to do is get you to listen to the wrong music. All he's got you to do is be stuck on too many TV things that got nothing to do with God. Mm -hmm. And it will work all by itself. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus said, let your eye be single. And if the eye is where the light passes through, so if you're viewing things and you're listening to things that are not of God, darkness can seep right in. Mm -hmm. The devil has known this about us a long time. That's right. He ain't got to come somewhere and hold you down and do whatever. All he's got to do is entice you with something that you may want, and he has won. Mm -hmm. Verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I always try and start with a psalm in the morning or something because, you know, these things are helpful. Mm -hmm. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves to uh, one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your, to your own husbands as unto the Lord. So, you know, the husband is the head of the home. That wife should be in submission to the husband. It does not mean that she's his slave. It just means that she has the final say and God, I mean, he has the final say and God determines what's what. But remember, this man has to be the head. Of, he got to be a man of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, because Christ is every man's head. Right. He can't just be a regular man because right away he's going to lead his wife off the, off the, the path, you know, and not in the ways of God. All right, and then it says, for, for the husband uh, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be in their own husbands in everything. Husbands. So it ain't just with wives here. We're going into husbands now. And then it says, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, uh, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Uh, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. Okay, so, you know, he's talking about that the women should submit themselves to their husbands, and um, husbands are supposed to love their wives. Jesus said, no greater love is there for a man that would give his life for his friends. You know, a husband should be expected to give his life for his wife. That's how much he's supposed to love her. I mean, it's a partnership where if it came down to it, hey, you know how they say, you ain't hurting my wife. You know, I don't care what's going on. That's my lady, you know, but... It should be that respect. Verse 29. For no man ever ye hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, and his flesh, and in his bones. I was actually looking for something else, but I guess this was a good thing to go into, and how the Lord wants the, the, the uh, marriage to be a certain way. The devil would prefer it. I'm a man. I'm doing my own thing. You don't tell me what to do. I run my own world. And the wife, well, we're married, so that doesn't mean I have to, you know, do what you say and all that. I got my own life. So under God, it should be in harmony, all right? Not anybody running anyway, I mean, you know, anything. Let's go back to um, Ephesians 4. I need to keep track of time, too, because I don't want to overdo it. All right, yeah, we got to wrap this whole thing up. So we're Ephesians 4, and um, we'll start at verse 20. Ephesians 4 and 20, and it says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if it be that ye have heard him, and uh, have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the, co the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, 
which um, after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with uh, his hands the things which are good, that he that he may have uh, to give to him that needeth. Okay, so we understand here that it talks about not giving place to, to wrath or the devil to wrath. So we can be angry. There's nothing wrong with being angry. That is an emotion that God had given us, but in our anger, we shouldn't sin. That means in our anger, we shouldn't slander. In our anger, we shouldn't curse. We shouldn't get, you know, puffed up, ready to fight or doing whatever. We can be angry, but don't sin. Because the devil would love to make you angry to get you to say something that will put you on the wrong end of God. John 8 and 44. I'm going to have to skip through these, so forgive me, guys, if I go ahead. I just want to make a couple of key points. But John 8 and 44, Jesus is referring to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So when the, when anybody is lying, you are speaking the devil's language. He was a murderer from the beginning because he took old innocent Adam and Eve, full of God's spirit, and turned them into the enemies of God. Okay, and this is what the enemy would love to do to you and I. All right, now he was a murderer because right after that, he did murder Adam and Eve. Right after that, they were subject to death. And that could not be reversed except for the eternal life in Jesus Christ. So when you want to talk about killing, he killed them. Mm -hmm. He did it successfully, too, that they wouldn't even, you know, look at it that way. Exactly. All right, let me make some key points because I know we got to go. Let's go to Luke 4. things. You guys read um, Philippians 3 in your spare time. It talks about the enemies of the cross of Christ. We actually did a teaching on that. Um, go to Sound of Trumpet Ministries, soundoftrumpetministries.com but it talks about the enemies of the cross of Christ and this is what the enemy will do in any way to stop us from following Jesus. Alright, uh, Luke 4 and 1 and it says and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, uh, he afterwards hungered. So we understand he went to be tempted of the devil. The devil didn't leave Jesus alone because he was the Son of God. So why would he leave you alone? Mm -hmm. But this is what churches convince people of. Man, there, there's no worry. Then why did he bother Jesus for 40 days? All right. So anyway, and the devil said unto him, 
if thou be the Son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. Now Jesus, of course, was hungry, so the devil tried to entice him with the lust of the flesh by telling them, by telling Jesus, Well, why don't you just make these stones bread if you really want to eat? And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, by every word of God. And the devil taketh him up into an high mountain, shewed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for, um, for that is delivered unto me, and it whomsoever I will give it. So the devil is telling him, I run all the kingdoms of the world. I will give you all these things if you will just worship him. So if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. So the devil offered Jesus the lust of the eyes because he tried to show him, man, look at all this glory I could give you. All right, look at what Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down uh, from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. So the devil here is quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 91 to entice Jesus to go and sin. Now what did he offer Jesus here? This is the pride of life. So if you're really the son of God and you jump down, then the angels are going to catch you just like the scripture says. So he's quoting the right scripture in the wrong spirit. Mm -hmm. More importantly, the devil offered Jesus the three things that he offered Adam and Eve and destroyed them. But he was unsuccessful here with Jesus. All right, so Jesus passed his test. Uh, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him and never bothered Jesus again. Does it say that? No. Nope. It said he departed from him for a season. Meaning that just because you might have dealt with the devil on one level doesn't mean that he won't double back and come after you again. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is why we have to stay ready. Look at 14. And Jesus ret returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Uh, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And um, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah the prophet. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So if the spirit of the Lord is upon him. He has, um, he's going to present the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So Jesus comes to heal the broken heart. This is something that can't just be done with your own means. To preach deliverance to the captives and to recover the sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus came fulfilling, I believe it's Isaiah 61. Is it Isaiah 61 or 64? One of them. But 
He came to bind the broken heart and to set the captives free. Because we don't recognize when we were with the enemy how captive we were. That, you know, we were really bound for hell, never knowing Jesus Christ. Okay, so I just wanted to make that point. And um, there was another point, because we don't have time to go into it. Let's go to Acts 5. But remember, Judas was one of the disciples of Jesus. And he was stealing from the money bag. A lot of people don't know this. Judas was greedy. He was taken from the treasury that Jesus had. So at the time when it came to Jesus' persecution, the devil already had one of his agents in play, which happened to be one of the disciples. So he pretty much, you know, the Bible makes clear that when the sop was given to him from Jesus, Satan entered into him and Judas betrayed Jesus. Okay, so the devil will even get as close as he can to even try and destroy the structure that God built up. But look at Acts 5, and this is why we got to get ready for this, because the true church of God, when the Spirit is given to us, we better not have any part of the devil living in us. Acts 5 and verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, you know, at this time you had the church of God. They were all on one accord. They were selling everything they had to build to this church so that everyone would have. But here's a rich couple. They went and sold and kept back part of the earnings from, um, from uh, Peter, you know, from the church pretty much. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias... Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the hand? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou um, conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto me, but unto God. So when you really get of the Spirit, the Lord's not going to be playing around. Okay, the Lord is going to reveal things, and this is why people want to be in the Spirit. Man, you better let the Lord grow in you, because you can get to a part where, you know, it's a point of no return with the Lord. Verse 5, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. So because he lied, Satan had filled this man's heart. He was still trying to hold back a little for self, still trying to look out for him. And then it says afterwards, his wife came in and immediately she gave up the ghost because she was a part of this, this stealing. Mm -hmm. So you lie to the spirit of God. When you reach a certain point with God, you can't turn back because this is your end. You will be damned forever. Now, I know a lot of people don't believe this. Let's go to Hebrews 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We'll start at verse 1. This is why Satan was damned forever, and this is why Satan goes so hard after believers, because he wants to get you to a place where you can't turn back. I'm not saying God isn't loving and forgiving. I'm saying there's a point when you are truly walking with the Lord that you have to be careful. All right, Hebrews 6, we'll start at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So this means you have been truly governed and taken over by Jesus Christ. You are full of the Holy Ghost because you're not doing dead works. 
You are totally being led by the Spirit as Jesus was to do his will. Verse 2. Of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands. So the gifts are working. And of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So you can even get this far in the Spirit with God where you can proclaim judgment upon someone's life and God will allow this simply because the Spirit of God is speaking through you and living in you. I know that sounds crazy, but why do you think Peter said in Acts 5, you didn't lie to me. You lied to the Holy Ghost and they gave up the ghost. Mm -hmm. Peter didn't kill them. They gave up the ghost. The life that was in Peter spoke through him. Mm -hmm. All right, so this is when you got all this stuff going on. You have raised the dead. You've laid on hands. You've even um, spoke of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. So we can do no miracles as far as the gifts are concerned unless God is heavily involved. Mm -hmm. And we can't be upset when he doesn't do things. Go through the process and let it be done. Verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. So these are ones walking in the spirit. And have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. So not in this life. We're talking the next life. OK, because when we get manifestations of the spirit, we begin to do the things of God and the impossible is done before your eyes. All right, this is what he's talking about. When you know God is real, mm -hmm. and if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, see if they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. That it would be impossible to renew this person again because you had gone too far. You've known too much. This is what the destroyer did to God's people, and this is what the destroyer would want to do to you and I. You can't be redeemed at this point because God has been in you and lived in you. So where you know that all things have been done in him. So let's not get this far to let the destroyer turn us back. Because I believe if you get this far and you turn back, you want to turn back. You are still missing something. There's something that you still want. Void of God. Right. Hebrews 2, and I think I'm going to end it from there. But in your spare time, go to John 12 and 31, and it says the prince of this world, which is Satan, has been cast out. John 14 and 30 says the prince of this world has nothing in me. That was Jesus Christ saying that the prince of this world would come in him, but would find nothing in Jesus. And this is why we must overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because if we don't, one of those strings he will pull and keep you. Sure. This might seem random, but just from um, 6 and 4, it uh -huh. says it's impossible for those who are enlightened um, basically to like fall back. Do mm -hmm. angels, like, do they have the Holy Ghost? Or? Yeah, no, they have the Spirit of God. And that's why when Satan fell, there was no excuse for him. Yeah. It's not like God said, come on, Satan, you know better. Lucifer, you know better. Mm -hmm. It was over. Because they already knew that God was God. They probably watched him create the worlds because you, you go to Job um, 1 and it says that when God was building the worlds, that the angels, the sons of God shouted for joy. I think it was Job 7, but they shouted for joy to see what God was doing. So the angels were around before then. So for them to fall away, 
it's over for you. I mean, because at that point, man, not only do you pray and ask for understanding, man, God is talking to you like I'm speaking to you guys. It's like you guys have a relationship. Well, Lord, what time are you coming home tonight? Oh, Lord, I'll be in prayer about six. I'll see you then. And I'm not trying to be funny. This is the relationship that the destroyer wants to keep from us. But when we get that far with the Lord, I mean, you know what you're doing, man. At that point, raising the dead, I mean, come on. These are things that only God can do. All right, where did I say go? Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, okay. Yeah, so to renew them again, man, it's over. Hebrews 2 and 1. So be slow in your experience. That's all I'm telling people. Let's not get puffed up. Because we get to that point, man, hey, you can go too far. Right. Hebrews 2 and 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression, and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. So he's saying it right here. You know, at one point, the angels had what they had with God. If God had judged them, don't think he's going to let anything slide by. When you get to that point, verse 3, How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them uh, that heard him, God also being them witness, both with signs and wonders and with uh, diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. So, in other words, they have no excuse. Okay, this is, this is what he's pretty much saying here. Verse 6, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man? that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visitest him. So let's not let this shoot by us. We are a remarkable work. Read Psalm 139. God made, I mean, a true work of art. And God only meant for us to have his spirit. All the enemy wants to do is get you to be a beast and not like God wants you to be. Any man without God is a beast. He thinks like a beast. He eats like a beast. He does the things that beasts do. But he said that even the angels would say, What is man that thou art mindful of him? You know, I wonder if Satan had even asked this. What is man that God visits him? What about us? Mm -hmm. So we are in a special place with God. This is not to be puffed up with pride. This is just us forget a, to get a glimpse of our godly inheritance that the destroyer wants to get rid of. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, Thou crownest him uh, with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hand. So this is speaking of Jesus. When Jesus came into the earth, he came in submission. He came lower than the angels. Thou, and, and look at all he did. If he came a little lower than the angels and all he did, there's no excuse for an angel. You know, that's another point. Verse 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that it not be under that it not be put under him. But now we see not yet all things, but unto, but under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned the glory 
and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So Jesus died for all of our sins. Okay, verse 10. For it became him for whom all for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringest many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So we can get to the part with Jesus Christ where Jesus can call us brethren. Okay, so that means that God the Father is your father and you are also a son of God. This is what the devil would hate to happen. Why? Because he was once a son of God. Mm -hmm. So if he knew how to lose his way, what do you think he'll do for us? That's right. Verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh, and part, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So without God, man lives, he dies, and he stays dead, okay? His eternal life is the second death, which is the lake of fire. Those who follow the Lord, when he dies, he goes on to eternal life in glory with God. So everybody can speculate on this side, but on the other side, there are no misunderstandings. Everyone on the other side knows that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm -hmm. But let us not wait to that time to find this out. We need to know this before we leave here, that we are either with Jesus or we are with the devil. Okay, because there is no playing around. Last verse for me, guys. I, I apologize. This is Revelation 20. So this is the fate of this adversary that tried to destroy man. This is going to be his end. And I saw um, an angel come down from heaven, having the keys of a bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him. And he shall deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a little season. So there's going to come a point when Jesus Christ is going to rule on the earth. This is talking about the millennial reign. He will actually be back. He will rule with a rod of iron. And this time, the devil will be bound in a bottomless pit, so he cannot deceive the people anymore. All right, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay, so for those that don't receive the mark of the beast, those that follow Jesus Christ, they will reign with Jesus Christ. Verse 5, 
But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Uh, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death have no power. But they shall be priests of God and of, and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, uh, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom uh, is, is of the sand of the sea. So when the devil gets out, he's going to go and deceive other nations again and have them go against the children of Israel. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of the heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone uh, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now I want to get down to the point where it says in verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So death is a real entity called Thanatos. This is where people talk about the Grim Reaper. Death is an enemy of God that Satan had dominion over until Jesus Christ died for us, giving us eternal life that we may have victory over death. So death and hell are, physical, are spiritual entities that will go into the lake of fire. Why? Because God has now given eternal life that these two are no longer holding places for the people of God. So as Jesus Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave, the people of God will conquer death, hell, and the grave. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, so don't let this destroyer destroy our lives and keep us away from God. You know, we have to know what it is to serve the Lord and not let him get to us. These are 20 ways Satan may seek to destroy you. Question. Yeah. 120. Because I was reading the other day and just wanted to verify that I got this timeline right. Mm -hmm. So it goes like the tribulation period mm -hmm. in the millennium where Jesus comes back and reigns. Mm -hmm. And that, um, for eternal life, that's where the believers are with. Like the children of God are with mm -hmm. Jesus on earth. And Satan's locked up with all the unbelievers. Mm-hmm. And then after a thousand years, the first resurrection happens. So does he take up the believers with him? Or yeah, the believers are actually going to be with Christ. Like at that trump, when he returns, he's coming for them. And this is why if you read it in the uh, old Quaker English, mm -hmm. it kind of sounds backwards. Mm -hmm. But they were saying like the first resurrection is Jesus comes back. He destroys the enemy, you know, that is around him. He throws Satan in hell. And the, the people are up with him, reigning with him for a thousand years. So that's the first resurrection. Okay, the second one comes when after the thousand years are up, Jesus, um, you know, when a thousand years are up, Satan is loosed again to do battle against the people of God. Mm -hmm. So God is going to destroy them, throw the devil in the lake of fire. And then those, the second resurrection are going to be those people at that time that the devil is going to say, I mean, well, the Lord is going to say, well, you were with him in the lake of fire, too. So the second death is the second resurrection. The first resurrection are those who are dead that will be caught up with Jesus in the clouds to be with him. Okay, so after that, you're going to have those that come up later for judgment. So even death can't stop people from judgment. That's a scary thing to think about. You can't die your way out of this one. 
these are 20 ways Satan may seek to destroy you. And I'm going to hand it over to my brother James. You got something? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry, guys. I hold you so long. And um, you got something, Sarah? I, yeah. I mean, if time permits. Okay. All right. So it says, he may slander God to you in order to cast doubt on God's goodness and shipwreck your faith. So he's out to destroy faith. He may tempt you to deceive others in order to create or maintain the impression of being more spiritual. This is three. He may corrupt your mind and steer you away from the simplicity of Christ and his gospel. Four. He may hinder, like cut in on, or as in our race, your gospel witness and steal it from un, un, uh, unsuspecting uh, hearts. So when you don't recognize it, you know, the enemy can come against you. He may wrestle against you, fight against your progress in Christ. He may tempt you to commit sexual immorality against your spouse as a result of neglecting the intimacy of your marriage bed. He may harass you with some of the fleshly affliction, like try and get you to indulge in fleshly things away from God. Hey, he may blind the spiritual eyes of your unsafe family, friends, and neighbors so that they may not see the glory of Jesus in the gospel. And that's 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, when he said the God of this world blinds the minds of those who believe not. Mm -hmm. So people that don't believe, they have help. It's not just their thoughts. This is 9. He may keep, you, keep your unsaved acquaintances in bondage to sins that hinder them from coming to God. He may smite you with physical disease. Now, that is something I wanted to get into, you know, but, um, you know, who knows. But they were talking about spirits of sickness that would come over people that God was able to get rid of. A lot of sickness, and this is why we got to be spiritually minded, a lot of sickness is not just some medical, physical thing. The enemy himself can throw sickness upon a person. And I'm telling you, you guys need to look up R.W. Schombach and A.A. And Allen and Smith Wigglesworth. Those guys will lay hands on and curse cancer, curse epilepsy, curse whatever diseases, heal people in all sorts of ways. And Jesus did this same thing. But you got to be full of the Spirit. All right. Um, verse, this is um, 11. He may murder you. Well, you know, he's good at that. Verse 12. He may sow tears, counterfeit Christians sons of the evil one uh, within your assembly of believers in order to de deceive and create disunity. So the devil loves to cause disunity among brethren. Verse, this is 19, I mean, this is 13. He may lead you toward theological compromise by causing you to be friendly to false doctrine and its teachers. He may persecute you for your godliness. He may tempt you to do evil. Uh, he is at this moment prowling about seeking uh, to capture and destroy you, chiefly through pride. This is uh, 17. He will most assuredly slander you before God in heaven. Now, this is one thing the accuser does. Mm -hmm. He'll entice you to sin. He'll help you pull out the porn. He'll help you pull out the alcohol. He'll tell you to go to that club. He'll tell you to slander your brethren and do all of that. And he'll get you to do it. But it's not like he's saying, oh, man, we're buds now. The first thing he does is run back to God, okay, to say, judge him, God. Look at what he's doing. He's sinning before you, don't you see? So, yeah, he should go to hell. But thank God that we have a mediator in Christ Jesus right. that he will come. If, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he will come 
and pretty much tell the devil, you know, talk to the hand. Mm -hmm. All right, you've got no place here, whatever. He's with me, Dad. Don't worry about it. He's coming along. So this is why we need Jesus, because the devil will, you know, mm -hmm. he will go against you. 18. He may ask God for permission to sift you out of the concentrated attack and temptation. I'm sorry we didn't get into the spirit of temptation tonight, you know, but that was part of it, too, that the hour of temptation would come. The Lord would deliver you. Remember, he told Peter, he said, Peter, um, Satan has told me that he would like to sift you as wheat. He said, but I prayed for you that your faith don't fail. Okay, so the devil will always tell God what he wants to do to you. And depending on your spiritual growth or where you are with him, the Lord, will, he ain't going to say, go ahead and do it. But, you know, the adversary has the right, because he is ruler of this world, to go after you. But God can see to it that the enemy not get you if you yield to him. Uh, 19, he may use the power of suggestion to move you away from the will of God. And 20 is, he may try to cripple your effectiveness through confusion, discouragement, and despair. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are things that we have to be careful of because we have a real adversary. So from that, from here, hopefully everybody understands what the destroyer is. There was so much more I wanted to get into, but we just don't have the time. But you cannot let this guy rule your life. That's right. Because if he has any place in it, he will destroy you. And that is a fact. I'll turn it over to my brother James, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, this is kind of actually relative to what um, was already being um, spoken about and presented. We can go to um, Exodus chapter 4, and this is basically about... Um, <coughs> Um, how a lot of people may not consider this as the, the greatest virus or sickness or disease. Exodus what? Exodus chapter 4. Uh, verse... Uh, let's say verse 5. Chapter 4, verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail... And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto them, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand unto thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other hand, as his other flesh. I, now, this specific passage, I know that um, God was showing Moses that uh, he was basically showing him a miracle, like he, what he can do. Mm -hmm. But I think also leprous was something that the Israelites and the Hebrews feared. It was something that they were uh, afraid of, like lepers. To catch it, it was like um, a really devastating thing. But us, we know that um, we heard of a lot of... Um, really devastating uh, sicknesses, cancer, HIV, uh, Ebola is a big one that's happened recently. Um, the Black Death is a big one. But we can go to um, John chapter 4, verse, or John chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, St. John. 
And um, so we know that what these sicknesses do, of course, they kind of um, they hinder your health. They hinder you a lot. Of, they hinder you from doing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, the plants that you might have, um, they're kind of placed on the backbone. You probably don't even think of them at all. Mm -hmm. So we can go to verse um, 14 in chapter 5 of St. John, and it reads, Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. So um, this man, Christ healed, and he's telling this man that he found him in the temple later on. He's telling him to sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. So um, if you also read the... Uh, the passage of when the seven um, unclean spirits was cast out of Mary. Luke 11. That is also like a, an indication of how worse things get. Um, when you sin, it becomes worse and worse and worse. So this is um, what I, I kind of feel, it's, it's a sickness because it, don't, it doesn't only kill your body or your spirit. Um, after your physical body is dead, it also puts you in jeopardy of the lake of fire. So um, let's go to one more passage and it's uh, John chapter 8, verse 11. Oh, actually, let's start at 10. Chapter 8, verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee go and sin no more. So Christ is saying, um, he's um, saying this yet again to someone different, saying to go and sin no more because this is very important. We know that we can get sick, we can get fevers, we can get colds, but um, they can be healed. But if we, if we sin, we know that it can not only affect our body physically, our emotions, our mental, but it can affect our spirit, uh, jeopardizing our salvation. Mm -hmm. So, and we can also open up doors for spirits to come in through our sin. Yeah. It's really if it has some physical, emotional, and spiritual faith. It's true. And it's so true. You know, so from here, um no, yes or no? I, I mean I have something. Since we're in John, we'll go to John 14, 6. So in John 14, 6, um, I'm actually going to break this verse down because it says, um, well, Jesus here was speaking to Doubting Thomas. And it said, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So these sayings here, when he said, I am the way, um, we actually, it was covered tonight, but John 10, verses 7 and 11, where he was saying, uh, it was already spoken of tonight, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he said that no man can cometh, uh, well, I won't get ahead of myself, but I'll just read over again. Then Jesus saith unto the, Unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And every, and every one came, and all that came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep uh, did hear, did not hear them. I am the door. So he, here he's saying, I am the door. So he is saying that there are there are not many ways 
to get into heaven. There are not many ways to God the Father. There's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. And there's a lot of uh, false religions today trying to get people away from Jesus Christ. And again, this all goes back to Satan being the destroyer. With all these false religions and, and people getting into their senses and, and thinking that they can have, uh, well, humanism, they can have, they are, they are the way. Or placing their trust in someone else. But Jesus Christ came down, not for us to boast of ourselves. He didn't even boast of his own self when he was here. He always tried, he was always bringing people back to the Father. That's why he was here. He was a servant. But it's, it's not that way anymore. But, I mean, if we believe in Jesus Christ, that's how we are supposed to be. We are supposed to show that, uh, that humility and the servitude that Jesus Christ showed while he was here. All right. Um, let's see here. In Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Just go there real quick. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it says, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is also saying here we have access, but we have to get that access through believing in Jesus Christ. All right, the next one is where he said, in the uh, verse 6, he says, and the, the truth. So Jesus Christ not only said that I am the way, but I am the truth. And uh, we see that in John 1, 14 through 18. Okay, verse 14. And the Word, which is Jesus Christ, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bearing witness of him, and cried, saying, This way, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So John here is talking about Jesus Christ when he... He was already here. He was already, you know, he, he created the heavens and the earth. You know, Moses saw him. Abraham saw him in the burning bush that he was here. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but the grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So here John is talking about, he's talking about Jesus Christ is that truth. He was always here. He's always, you know, been here. And now we have him in our lives if we truly believe in him. And if we know that truth, and we know what the enemy is trying to do to keep Jesus Christ from uh, being presented into this world, then we should go out. We shouldn't have any fear of persecutions or trials and tribulations. We should go out and speak about Jesus Christ because he is the only, he, he is our only hope of eternal life. He is our only hope of coming out of this world unscathed. All right, and let's see here. Then he talks about in the next one, let me get back here to John 14, is um, the life. All right, in, in John 11, 25, and 26 says, 
And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He was talking about, he was talking to Martha here. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Which means he's saying he shall never, he won't see the second death. He won't see hell. He will be with him in heaven. And then he asked her, believeth thou this? So, if we know that Jesus Christ give us life, then we should be looking to him for that. That we can have eternal life with him. So when we are here in this physical body, this physical body is going to die away. But we have to know, where are we going in eternity? Are we going to believe in Jesus Christ? Are we going to believe in him in our life? Are we going to believe in his power to be willing to give up all the lust of this world? And, and be with him that because as it was said tonight, Satan he takes no he takes no prisoners and anything that we have in this life that we think can give us pleasure, it's it's really just a trick of the devil. You know, it's not to say that we can't get married and have children and all that, but if we have you know, as it says in the Corinthians, if we have a hope in Jesus Christ in this life only, we are above men most miserable because that is true. You know, if we're just placing all our stock in this life, then all of this is gonna is gonna burn away one day. This is all corruptible. But if we lay up our, our treasures in heaven and we believe in Jesus Christ for everything, for that uncorruptibility, and go forward and, and, and just proclaim this to others of this that he is the only way, the truth and the life, then that is where it's truly he is where we are truly at in our in our hope. And then the last one in verse 14 or verse 6 it says no man cometh to the father but by me and we can go to 1st Timothy 2 in that verse where you said um there's John chapter chapter 11 verse 26 mm -hmm. where he said um and whosoever believe and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die that also um is about the first death too because technically we don't die when, I mean I, I know our physical body is gone but that is, when he was explaining to um, the people, he was saying that's resting, mm. that's sleep. So, um, yeah, even, even I know the, the body and the flesh must go, but, um, but he explained that to people that they're resting or they're sleeping. That's not even considered necessarily death or dying. Well, yeah, I mean, we have our, our rest in Jesus Christ. Right. Our hope is But in that's him. only right. in him, right? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, so First Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gaveth himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So here he even says that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. It's not a pope. It's not a pastor. It's, it's only by having our relationship with him that we will get to the Father. So, all right. All right, so I guess we can close out, but, you know, I would encourage people to read Ephesians 6 in their spare time because it talks about, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand in the evil day, you know, or be able to resist the devil in the wiles of the devil. So those are the things that we really want. The helmet of salvation, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, you know, the sword of the spirit. Helmet of salvation, I think, that I name them all. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Those are the things that we want in Christ Jesus to be able to be saved. 
And when you look up what those things are, it's really having Jesus Christ fully grown in us. Yep. So let's not let the destroyer have its way. Let's go after Jesus hardcore. You know, we need to be saved. All right, so from here, um, I don't know who wants to pray. Anybody feel like praying tonight? Not. I can pray. Sounds good. In Jesus' name, in the loving and precious name of the Son of the living God, we pray. We thank you, most holy Heavenly Father, for allowing this day to be. Thank you, O Lord God, for allowing us to commune with one another, that we may fill thy spirit in giving us understanding and wisdom and strength to continue in thy way and to battle the things that try to tempt us. But only by thee are we able to do this. Otherwise, it is impossible. We thank you, most holy Heavenly Father, for we also consider others in our prayers that we don't only think of ourselves, considering them in our prayers that they have strength and peace and comfort in Jesus' name, that they may have peace in the things that they're dealing with, comfort in the hard times and the uh, hard trials that they're dealing with, and strength to endure and to continue in Christ Jesus. Praying for those who are without, praying for those who are having to deal with um, peril of any kind, we pray for their strength, O Lord Jesus, that we may continue in thy way, that we may continue to bring others close to you. We pray this, O Lord God, to bring them close, but that we all remain deeply rooted in thy way. And in Jesus' name we pray. Our Father, whom art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. 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 I want to say, um, Lord, uh, my brother Carla, my, Chris, my sister Christina, and their family, Lord, the hurt that they're going through and their loss, I'm asking, Lord, that you build them up and make them strong. I'm asking that you place your peace, Lord, where they are really going through it. And, Lord, you have come to bind the broken heart. So I ask that you preserve them, Lord, and you continue to be with them, that this will go easy. Though there may be hurt, Lord, your love and your peace surpasses all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.